This episode originally aired on June 3rd, 2022. Our guest today is comedian Orion Horwood. Are you coming up to the end of your drinking gets? Do you think? Oh, I'm certainly nowhere near, near my quota. <laughs> I was given more than most. <laughs> yeah, as Reagan said, it's trickle down. So I'm going to take Ryan's. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> It's good to see you. There's a reason why I got a hold of you. Uh, can I bother you that with? Because we we should catch up, old friends. But but I did need your help with something. So just let me know when uh, when you want me to bother you with that. No, now I'm sitting in my office. I figured you called me for something. This is our this is our office. Is it okay? Yeah. Yeah. This is something that's on my mind, and I know it sounds crazy, but look, I went down a rabbit hole. And now I'm, I'm thinking uh, conspiracy theories. And there's somebody that's always kind of touched my heart because I grew up with them. I was actually one of the uh, one of the cool kids that was listening to uh, to the album Bleach before Nevermind ever even came out. But he's in a small group of people that I feel uh, got snuffed by somebody because of the voice and the uh, the power that they would have they would have had at that point. Oh, to please tell us. This is our specialty, solving mysteries. Yeah, yeah. And this one's close to my heart, Mr. Kurt Cobain. Uh, you want to you finally put that shit to bed, the debate? Well, yeah, because you have to understand that we both had very similar childhoods. And that album, when I was going through a tough time, was a big deal for me. And I still don't believe it. I don't know. That's me. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like something's up. Well, lucky for you, all I all I do is research shit like this. I know all about this, and what I need is just the boys to give us a hand. You can stick around and help us out solve this. We'll go we'll go to it. That sounds easy. Horwood's here. I'm fucking excited to have Horwood here, guys. Good I'm friend excited. of mine. Solve a crime for him. You guys, uh, you got money though, right, Ryan? Because this isn't free. Like we. Yeah, so. I have as many dollars. When we talked about this, you said this many dollars. I said I'll do it. So I've got all of those in a bag. I got a bag of dollars, the, the amount that yeah. we talked about. Do you know how much, you know how many times I fall for, I've got a bag of dollars? These guys are going to shit on me if I don't, if somebody doesn't pay me. Okay, look, they're actual dollars. And I don't know what to do with them now. So I got to give you these. It's a big bag. I see the bag. Yeah. That's, do you think we should trust doing the bag? When you say when you say real dollars, do you mean U.S. dollars or Canadian dollars? Oh no, yeah, U.S. because because to be honest, to move it, the loonies got a little heavy, and Richard drives a hard bargain. I went with paper money. I trust it. I, I think that's better than that time you accepted a briefcase full of sand dollars, Richard. That's true. That was a bad one. That was fucking and stupid. And I did ask about that, and he said no. He said actually, when he when I said sand dollars, you know what he said? Rick will get pissed. True. An elite team of private detectives. What if balloons are aliens? Maybe that's the key component we're missing. Cover-ups. John's guilty. Mysteries that need to be solved. Maybe Mormons need mountains. Richard, shut up. What are you... uh, Okay, I'm going to do this off top because I know there's going to be lots of jokes and whatever else, but uh, serious suicide talk this whole time 
you have problems, go like if you have thoughts, suicidal thoughts and stuff, there's places you can call. I, I will post some shit at the bottom of this episode. There's numbers for the national suicide hotline in Canada, the US. I'll post them all. I'm going to do that. But I know I'm going to make jokes and I'm sorry about it in advance. OK, that's where I'm going with you this. know more. <laughs> Do no more than that. That was the best PSA ever. That's all, that's all I'm doing. I'm telling you right now. That's yeah, all I'm going to post some numbers. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. That's that's what most podcasts do now. They don't give any shits in the world. They just say trigger warning. Yeah, well. I'm Rick, not... you are very loud. I thought yeah. it worked with the words trigger warning, though. Yeah, it did, though. It actually did. I'm going to put a siren. I will be putting a siren behind that. Kurt Donald Cobain was born February 20th, 1967 in Aberdeen, Washington. Aberdeen is a little town, uh, smaller than where uh, it's about the same size where I'm from. Actually, it's about half the size of Timmins, like 1900 people. Uh, but that was in the 80s. It's still less now. Uh, it's a little logging town uh, and a port town. Always has been. In the early 1900s, this is the fun part about Aberdeen that I found out. In the early 1900s, it was called the Port of Missing Men due to its high rate of murder. I don't know. I like that. I find that interesting. Interesting. So they say Kurt was a happy child. Looked all the time, just full of optimism, glee, joy. Uh, he was actually a talented artist as a young kid. He could draw like Snoopy, Dis- Disney characters. His grandma was an artist, so she like encouraged it in him even from a young age. Uh, his grandpa in the documentary Montage of Heck pulls out a bunch of his old drawings and like they are good. He was like seven when he was like 1980 when he was drawing. It was fucking goofy. Looked exactly like goofy. Like, good job, bud. You know. He also had a bunch of musicians, like professional and amateur musicians in his family. Not like his direct family, but his aunt and uncles. Like one of his uncles in the 30s was an Irish tenor in a movie. I Fuck, I should have written it down. I, I just found that out today. I was looking at stuff that uh, his family stuff. Anyways, but he was an Irish tenor, which I find fun. In 1976, when Kurt was nine, his parents, auto mechanic Donald Cobain and waitress uh, Wendy Elizabeth w- got a divorce, which was kind of rare back then. In the 70s, late 70s like that. Uh, got more and more prevalent as time went, but uh, it actually affected him a lot. Wendy actually just dumped Don because she said he didn't make enough money. He wasn't ambitious enough. She didn't like that about him. But these broads, you know. Mm. <laughs> so Kurt, so did Kurt Cobain go on to become a famous musician so he could fuck his mom? Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, we'll we'll see but like Kurt Cobain is actually a very mysterious person he was never serious in interviews he fucking hated them you don't really know much about him it's not like it is now where people are filmed all the time all of this shit he's being an asshole like it's actually he's actually really funny okay well I'll let you continue but I have myself yeah in the documentary montage of heck she takes shots like Wendy takes shots at Don because he used to walk around in his box like just his tidy whities around the house she was like, she was talking about Kirk Cobain walking around his tidy whiteies, showing her his album the first time. He's like, that's another part of Don. Like, I could, that's one of the other things I couldn't stand. Like, Jesus Christ, it's been 30 years, lady. That documentary came out in like 2015. Like, chill. <laughs> she was fucking still mad about it. The divorce took a big profound effect on Kurt. Kurt said he was embarrassed by his parents and he resented them for many years after the divorce. Uh, even, even Wendy in the documentary, she kept talking about like, people were talking about it a lot. And he didn't know how to handle that. And then he just started to like isolate himself. Even Kurt says that he's like, after my parents divorced, I kind of like became like a, like a lone wolf, I guess, you know, like 
didn't really like people anymore. And to speak to that uh, quickly, that's yep. where there's a lot of similarities. My parents were also innovators in divorce. Mm. And by innovators, I mean, it's so regular today. But honestly, at, at that time, you know, people would disown members of their family because the Catholic Church was still that much of a thing where, you know, you didn't get a divorce. You just like, you know, drink on the couch and beat her if she gets mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's all you did back then, for sure. And when I showed up at school, I especially, you know, after the divorce, I'm six years old and we went to a small town up north in a small town up north at that time. I was for sure the only kid from divorce. You know, everybody else up at the end sure. of high school, they've been married forever. They're not getting unmarried because their families are all married. And uh, and then I showed up the fat, poor div- kid of divorce. I was very popular. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I don't... Do you guys you guys have divorced parents? I got it. My parents aren't divorced. My parents have been together since fucking... I was way before me. What is it, 44 years now? Jesus, long time. Is divorce when is divorce when your dad dumps his cum in your mom and then goes on to be a terror in your life and hers <laughs> by being a raging coke and then crack addict? Because if so, uh, yes. Uh, 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 no, it isn't. But it's close. It's definitely in the <laughs> okay, ballpark. Cool. <laughs> yeah, then I'm I'm in the ballpark of uh, ch- adult child divorce. Okay. Well, Kurt's way of doing this, like I said, he became isolated. He became moody. He came to defiant. You started acting out at school at home. Did you guys do that when your uh, childhood? You started acting out. <laughs> I'm just wondering. I, yeah. I don't know. I had to- My parents were not divorced, but I, I I mean I didn't act out beyond like getting in schools and shit. It's like fairly normal. Yeah, yeah. I feel like normal stuff, but like I think it's all really important. That's why I think Kurt Cobain's story is so important because I think you know whatever happened one way or another, there's mental health issues involved. 100. percent mm. Mm-hmm. I just imagine, I don't know. I saw a lot of kids that had divorced parents and you could see that some of them were really resilient, but a lot of them did have hard times. So I understand that. And I see that I don't, I wasn't a part of, I wasn't that person, but I do see that it does happen. Right. When Wendy and Don split, they, they right away split custody with Kurt, but he just started getting so fucking bad at school and not listening and just drawing and just doing shit that he wasn't supposed to do that actually Don's like Don got him into therapy like family therapy which i find in late ni- 70s like that early 80s that's very progressive i found that's, that was like that's unbelievable yeah and what this therapist suggested which i think is not good therapy is that donald or kurt should be in a one family home none of this splitting bullshit anymore there's dude I, that's that track so there's bad fucking therapists out there which like oh my god i had i had one dude and, uh, and, and I don't, I don't remember how it came up, but I was talking to him and, uh, and we were talking about suicide and I was, I said, I'm not like, I'm like, I don't really like guns. And this therapist in the office while I'm sitting down with him goes, why I have a gun. Oh God. <laughs> like, what, did he mean with that? Him? I have no idea. I like, what the fuck? You can't just say that. <laughs> Wait, to this day, you don't know if he had one on I him? No, I didn't inquire further. Like, I was the only, I, I like, this dude just devoured those sessions. He talked the entire fucking time. Well, at least he made you feel comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why do I feel, 
scarier that he said gun and not guns. Like, I, I feel like it's scarier that he. Has <laughs> yes. <one. They're... laughs> it was with him. No, I feel like anybody that has one gun has a gun just because they want to be able to tell people they have a gun. Right. It's just it's not a it's not a response you use in therapy. It's what you tell the bank clerk when you're asking for all of the money. Like that <laughs> is insanity. I think the only time that guy buys a second gun is if he gets good at shooting two guns at the same time. <laughs> because when a guy has one gun and he's very much about that, he's like, This is for killing, and I can only do that one at a time. You know, he doesn't. No, I think most people generally buy their second gun when someone kills the dog that their wife gave them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually around the time where you start buying up guns. Yeah, I, that happens Russia. all the time to you, or what? What? How? How's that the very specific thing? The reason people get guns? It was a Keanu Reeves joke. Oh, oh okay. Uh, Thank you. That was, was I see funny. my confusion though was built built around the fact that I have the background knowledge. And I'm also assuming, but Ryan, if you're in Canada, I'm, I feel that Rick is the only one of us here that owns guns. So, <laughs> hey, don't stereotype him. What the fuck? Hey, you know, I I had a couple of guns that were left to me uh, when one of my family members passed away, and I've got somebody's holding on to them somewhere for me somewhere. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I, now let me ask you this, and this this is something I got shit for before. Why don't you have guns in your house? Because uh, you know, if somebody comes through that door, they want me to have a gun. Because without a gun, it's going to be worse. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm the scariest thing out there. I don't need a fucking gun. I'll, I'll, I'll... <laughs> wow. All right. No, that's a really good answer. I I thought. See, because my thing, and then with all your PTSD books, I was like, I can't have a gun in the house. I'm worried I'll kill myself with it. So my mm. answer, way sadder than yours. Yeah, yeah. I will say, I will say if there was this, you know, those signs on doors where people say like, there are guns on this premises. If instead it said, I do not own a gun, please enter. I would be more terrified. <laughs> I'm telling you, by, by my first door, I've got a ball peen hammer and I leave my door unlocked. I don't give a, I, yeah, you know. Nice. Wow. Just over. <laughs> There's signs leading up to his house that's just like a lot of good shit in here. Yeah. Go ahead. Give it a shot. <laughs> you got about eight months. You got about eight months to kill someone coming into your house before this goes into our public feed, where now it is premeditation and you get first degree murder. But you got eight months until mm. that happens. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no. My first move is I've got two foster cats, you know, and I love them, but uh, it, it'd be <laughs> one, two, real, real. And then, uh, in a tornado of cats, that's when I would awesome. uh, Goldberg spear somebody. There you go. <laughs> you should tie their tails together and have uh, cat nunchucks. Yeah, or cat bolos if he's trying to get away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this therapist nice. fucking uh, gets them to put him in a one house family where so he ends up at Don's house full time in 1979 when Kurt was 12. Don and Wendy both got into relationships almost pretty much right after. Uh, Kurt was pissed at Don because Don said, I won't, I'll never marry another woman again. And then he does, obviously, like fucking, you know what I mean? He's probably just a drama queen. Uh, Kurt was like, you said mom was the only girl for you. So he got more pissed about that. And he got a new wife. Her name was Jenny Westby. Uh, and she was actually like very good to Kurt. Uh, she had a couple of her own kids. She had two girls. And he was the only boy at the time. 
So he felt like he had all the attention he wanted. He was the only boy, whatever. And she was giving him all that maternal attention. But then Don and Jenny get pregnant and they have a boy. And as soon as that happened, Kerpa comes in his room all the time. Fuck this. He figures he lost all the maternal attention. He's not special anymore. He's not part of that family. They only care about the boy, their boy, not me. I'm only half the boy, which I don't think is fair, but I think that's more of like a, a teenager thing. I don't think she, they actually felt that way, but a baby does take more effort than a 12 year old. Well, there's also something to be said about um, when parents do that because um, you you have your kids and then like, I think it's almost a compulsion. It's like, of course you have to try better. That's what's going to make you a good parent is if you're trying harder and like you're going to be cognizant of the mistakes you made and you're just going to be doing things differently with them. Like I said, I got I got brothers that are 15 years younger than me and everything's, they're just like, yeah, we did this and that. And like, uh, oh, how did mom did said this or whatever. And I'm like, wow, where's the raging alcoholic bitch that I knew when I was your age? <laughs> They get a do-over, yeah. yeah. No, it's that's true. And, and 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 like anyone, right? Like, what did we talk about not that long ago? Where you were like, parents can hate their parents, but the grandkids love them because they are a different person at this point, right? So, like, as you get older, yeah. changing stuff, right? Yeah. Kurt. Okay, so Kurt gets more and more bad behavior now that there's another kid, and it becomes even too much for Donald. And so he tries to go back to home uh, to his mom's house. Sorry, and his mom's like, nope. <laughs> so what they do is they send. Kurt to a family friend named Jesse Reed and Jesse Reed was a born again Christian. So they said all fucking Kurt needs to be less bitchy, like a less bitchy teenager is to be injected with some vitamin J. They thought Jesus was going to save him for that. Again, that was at a time where people still thought that that could happen, but, but I, it did work, which is funny. Kurt, when he went, lived there for a while, he became a uh, Uber Christian going to church every week for about a year maybe less like six months he got right into it then he realized how dumb it was and then he started a bit bad behavior again but he did he did actually hold on to a lot of the christian beliefs and stuff you can see his lyrics he talks about christianity stuff like that not in a positive way you know but he did hold on yeah to it. well once that stuff's in there it don't really come back out but he actually absorbed it and he actually did like enjoy it for a, a modest amount of time very small time uh mm. so then he they, they kick him out the reeds kick him out then he ends up like living between his grandparents, uncles, aunts, all sorts of people, month by month, he just stay there back and forth and nobody could handle him. He was uh, being kind of a dickhead. But I mean, I don't know, some people, everybody takes shit differently, right? Wendy was also dating. She got a guy uh, right after the divorce. He made double the amount that Don made. So that's exactly what she wanted. Uh, but he also punched her a bunch uh, in front of Kurt. So he had to deal with that. Hey, compromises, baby. Compromises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like that coin, but... I'll take a few bops in the face for double the money. I remember reading reading something about, was that the guy that broke her arm? Yes, I believe he he did a lot. He assaulted her a bunch of times. It, yeah. it's, it's just worth noting that he saw that side of it too, right? He saw an abusive relationship on his mom's side and a relationship that was actually going very well, but he didn't feel like he was a part of it. He felt like he was not with any side of the family. He was just an outcast from an early age. Yeah. And his dad really wanted him to be a, like Don really, really wanted him to be a sports star. Like he'd sign him up for little league and, and wrestling and shit. Apparently he was a good enough wrestler, uh, but he would just let him, he would, he would like sit on the mat and let himself get tapped out. So he wouldn't have to fucking wrestle. Uh, same thing with baseball. When he was in little league, you just, he, you know, he'd see his dad there watching the game. He'd like, lay yeah, down oh. on the mat and wait to get wrestled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> then just giggle. <laughs> he'd just take the strikeouts. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. an artist, you know, he's an artist, man. Fuck, that's all he wanted to do. 
Yeah. He would just draw in class instead of paying attention all through high school. Uh, he actually has a good story about being in high school. I don't really, it just shows to his personality a bit. Like he used to start, he used to hang out with the gay kid in school. They had a little, little school, right? Only 1600 people in the school. So he found the one gay kid and hang out with him and he got bullied for doing it. Bullies started calling him a fag. And, he, and later in life, he said, I loved it. I loved being called the gay guy because everyone left me alone. <laughs> so he like took a hide in the gay person. I've, it's interesting to me. Hmm. By the second year of high school, Kurt actually ended up moving back in with Wendy. Around this time is when Kurt meets Roger Buzz Osborne. He's a singer and guitarist of the Melvins. Uh, the Melvins is another grunge band from the 90s. I don't know if you guys remember them. They weren't as big, obviously, as Nirvana, but they, they're around. They exist. They made a difference. Uh, they actually went to the same high school, Kurt and uh, Buzz, Aberdeen High School. They ended up being like a huge influence on Kurt because buzz was a i think he's a couple years older and he introduced him to all the punk music that he used to love like whatever fucking punk that was going around in the 80s in that time i, I don't know he just introduced him to all that kind of stuff plus the seattle music uh scene like he loved the pixies and all that kind of stuff and actually the melvins ended up touring with nirvana and the pixies later on which kind of big circle thing right can you confirm this quickly because i have a brief memory did one of uh kurt's first bands literally was called like poo or something like yeah that. we'll get we'll get we're getting there yeah okay sorry yeah no that's okay this is what we call his musical awakening that's what i call that's what i call it uh all you want to do is play punk music now and i don't know if this is a coincidence but this is just about the exact same time kurt started smoking weed which is 13 years old so i don't know if they have correlation but i'm gonna go with maybe there's one weird story before i get into the music stuff there's one weird story that kurt wrote in his journals i don't know if anybody's ever written written read any of his like biographies or anything over his journals. I read his journals and I listened to the, I watched a few podcasts, like the montage of heck I mentioned a couple times already. They tell this story. It's one of his high school was about when he was in high school. And is it about him? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to say that right away, but he, it, he writes in the first person. And even if it's not about him, it like kind of gives you an idea of what his headspace was at in the story. Kurt said that he befriended a guy that he hated in high school because he was his pot dealer, all right? And there's three other guys that used to hang out with them. And they were considered degenerates by the other, uh, by the school kids uh, and the popular kids and the teachers. Everyone just thought they were uh, dirty little fucking punk kids. And, and they kind of were. Uh, he said that they would go around a town, they would vandalize, break windows, uh, if stores, stealing liquor, spray paint stuff like God is a fag around town on walls. And what they did was they started hanging out with this slow girl and I'm paraphrasing Kurt when I say this. This isn't my words. This is Kurt's words. Most people called her retarded. Okay. Uh, but he didn't. He said that everyone says she's retarded, but I don't. She's just slow and illiterate. She's not retarded. She's just, just stupid. Oh, yeah. That's much nicer. Yeah. No, I know. It's just funny that he, he made, made sure to say she's retarded, but not retarded. Kurt also goes in to include that she's fat. So he had to mention that. And what these five menaces were doing was they go over this poor, simple, obese girl's house pretending to be her friend. Then when they were in there, one of the friends distracted her while another one like raided the house for liquor and they would steal it because dad wasn't home yet. They were turned, she was a latch key kid or whatever. Dad'd be home at like five o'clock. And Kurt said he didn't give a shit about this behavior in the story uh, because he was going to kill himself anyway. So who gives a shit? I can do whatever I want. I'm going to kill myself soon anyways. But he didn't want to die without having sex at least once. So Kurt, goes to the poor slow girl's house by himself one day 
and invites himself in for a Twinkie. That's his words, not mine. He says, I'm going to go in there for a Twinkie. She invites him in and he asks her if she wants to fuck. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. She shared her Twinkie? (laughs) 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 That's how we know she's not retarded. After they kiss, he plays with her tits for a bit. And then she starts to undress in front of him. And he asks her, like, do you know what you're doing? And she says, yeah, she does it with her cousin all the time. Oh, no. Then they were about to fuck, complete all tasks needed before he could kill himself. But Kurt claims he couldn't go through with it because of the way her pussy smelt and the way her sweat reeked. So he left the poor, simple little beast girls in her bed. So this whole incident leads him to his first supposed suicide attempt. Someone found out uh, about his attempt to get laid and word got back to the girl's father. The father came into the school yelling and screaming that someone was trying to take advantage of his daughter. And according to Cobain's journals, they found out it was him. He became a pariah at school and he was called retard fucker after that. He headed down to the train tracks, covered himself in a cinder block, a couple cinder blocks and waited for the train to arrive. The 11 o'clock train was on time and he was laying there and watching it come. And as it came to him, it passed by him on the track beside. Apparently this scared him enough to like say, I'm going to get through high school. I'm going to get this shit done. Turn my life around. Now that's the story. Okay. Like I said, the stories in his journals, many of it, people don't think it's fact. Uh, it's more of a short story, but uh, even Kurt's buddy, Buzz, Buzz Osborne, Osborne says that hundred percent did not happen. He would have heard about it. He was in high school with them. The story starts out describing himself as a fat little fucker. Kurt was a scrawny little, uh, something he complained about a lot. He was too scrawny, probably fiction, but people out there on the internet put this out. Like it's a real story. Cough, cough, montage of heck, cough, cough. They just throw it in the movie. No context. So I'm watching this. This is one of the first things I watched. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy fucked the, the slow girl in school. Then I started looking into it. So like, but I do want it. I did want to mention the story because it kind of puts like this whole theme of that story is like, I'm not good enough for anyone and I want to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I know you're not supposed to say stuff like that, like this, but um, you know, normally if someone like has a reason behind suicide, you're like, no, everything's fine. You know, don't do it. That scenario. I don't know that I would stop that person because who that is mortifying. No, that's terrible. Right. I. Yeah. Why was her family upset? He's a step up. He's not family, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's, you know, she's this slow girl who's all stinky and and fucking her cousins. And then and then they got it. Her dad should have been like, you know, I I thought nobody was ever gonna fuck this retard. And <laughs> and then he would have been pumped. He goes, which one did it? He goes, the blonde kid, the normal looking one. Well. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeehaw, motherfucker, get on that! Uh, All right, I got you. I should have been more <laughs> Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it's a fucking story. I, I don't really know if it's true or not because the only thing that makes me not think it's true is because he goes, "I was a fat and awkward little kid," and it's like, no, you weren't. So, like, the whole thing's made up. Anyway. Yeah, it might have just been a weird way of trolling or something. Just make shit up about your own past. Kurt Cobain had a dark ass sense of humor like that, as we'll see as we go through. He would say shit yeah. like that just to fucking, like he was the classic Gen X dude where it was whatever man, like sarcasm and all that. So I don't know. A lot of people say, like we were talking about him being depressed and all that stuff. A lot of people say he was just 
like he was just a quiet guy. He wasn't depressed. Like the most of the depression shit honestly comes from Courtney Love later on in life and it and his parents a bit. But most other people say no, he was never really depressed. I didn't really he's always just he's just quiet. Yeah, and all people he cared about always was music. say that shit. Yeah, people I know. People always just, say that shit. Yeah. I'm just saying, that's... but do we trust Courtney Love over everyone else? That's what I'm saying. Courtney Love is the only one who goes like, yeah, for sure he was depressed. You know, I, I don't I, know. I think they were both toxic, but I'm not I'm not in the I'm not in that camp of that theory. Sorry, Courtney loves uh, definitely from firsthand experience, uh, definitely at one point, very weird person. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> we'll get into her weirdness very much later. Yeah, anyways, I just wanted to kind of get that story out. Let's get back to it. So on his 14th birthday, Kurt was given the option to get a new bike or use the guitar as a gift. And he picked the bike. Just kidding. He picked a guitar. In high school, Kurt was hanging out with the Melvins at their practice space, and this is where he met Chris Novoselic. Chris was a couple years older, so they didn't really hang out, but sometimes they played in the space above Novoselic's mother's hair salon. She shared the same taste <laughs> in punk music. Yeah, the fact that you said the ball <laughs> joke earlier. <laughs> I didn't know it was my hair salon. That's, that's great. Yeah. Kurt really liked Novoselic. He was, he looked up to him. He said, fuck, I want to join a band with you. And Novoselic said, no, thanks, little guy. And he tapped him on the head and sent him away. In 1985, uh-huh. when Cobain was 17, he forms the band he called Fecal Matter. So not poop. Oh, yeah. Not poop. <laughs> it was called Fecal Matter. Very proper poop. I remember liking it. That's okay. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's a three-piece. And Kurt playing guitar and singing. Drummer Dale Cover from the Melvins and Greg Hokuson, whose claim to fame is probably fecal matter. Uh, this was actually one about 20 fucking bands Kurt formed during those times. Like every week he would be like, you play with me. We're this. You play with me. He'd have like so many different bands. Uh, fecal matter just ended up being the one that stuck for a while. Kurt hated school. By the last two weeks of school, he didn't. He realized he didn't have enough credits to graduate and he dropped out. So he's living with Wendy. Wendy wow. said, you're not going to go to school. Get a job or move out. So Cobain got a job. And he lived at his mom. No, he quit. He moved out of his house, his parents' house. When he moved out, he was couch surfing. Later in life, I saw, I saw an interview where Kurt Cobain was talking about, like, when I first moved out, I was homeless and living under a bridge. And I was like, I don't know about that. Nova Selleck, same thing. He's like, this is not true at all. Kurt hung out under that bridge, but it's impossible to sleep there. It's fucking mud pile. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't sleep there. You're full of shit. You're, you're couch surfing. <laughs> no, no. I heard I heard he did do that. And that every night, a different uh, disabled obese girl came through. <laughs> <and> he... <laughs> Let me ask you these titties three. Take off your shirt. Yeah. Take off your pants. Suck my dick. And each one's pussier smelled worse than the last. Oh, gosh. Pussier. Pussy oh. smell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh. Yeah, I think, like, this is what I'm saying. Kurt Cobain made up his own mythos a bit, too. Like, see, I don't know. Like, the depression. We'll talk about it more. But, like. Bob Dylan did the same thing, though, right? Yeah. Bob Bob Dylan had all of these stories about touring the Americas and the back of train cars. And all mm. of that was horseshit. Yeah, I bet. I, I, you got It's part of it, right? You got to make yourself fit the music at a certain point And the music um, fit you, you know. That self-made mythology shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had to get a job eventually, though, and he did. And he moved into his own apartment September 1st, 1986, after Wendy lent him $200 for the deposit. And I'm sure bitching about every minute of it. Your dad would have borrowed $200, too, you loser. How how, how hard do you think she had to get hit to get that yeah, yeah, exactly. from her husband? <laughs> this is going to cost me two black eyes, Kurt. You better fucking enjoy it. You're not moving back in, Kurt. 
but he got a job as a handyman at a resort in Aberdeen, which he found was, he was like, this is a lazy job. I just sit here and I pretend to go fix shit. And they pay me money. Uh, so it was kind of a perfect job for him. And then when he moved out, he moved it to like, it wasn't really an apartment. I said apartment, but it was more of like a, a garage on somebody else's property. They made it to like a little garage, like a little apartment or a garage. And it had like a weird address, like 1000 and a half, whatever drive. That's how fucking, it wasn't even a real <laughs> lot of land. Like, but it was like, it was his. And he loved it. He could do whatever the fuck he wanted with it. I grew I grew up in a in a in a half apartment. Oh, did you really? Two, two eleven and a half. Yep. It makes me think of Ninja Turtles. That's the only thing I can think of. Two eights and three quarters. Where's that, Mister? It's down here. And they throw the pizza through the uh, slot. <laughs> yeah, the Ninja Turtles were very bad roommates for me when I was young. <laughs> pizza dudes got thirty seconds. Yeah, these dudes got 30 seconds. Yeah, he was just more happy to be out of his parents' house, not having to listen to them anymore. Both sides he fucking hated. He did have a roommate, uh, Matt Lucan. He was actually in the Melvins as well. So this became their big party house, but it also became a plat- practice space for both the Melvins and Fecal Matter. And Kurt was fucking dedicated even back then, even at a young age. He said, the band, if you want to be in the band, you got to practice five days a week with us. Same thing with Melvins would do the same thing. But they would, they would call them shows. They wouldn't call them like practice sessions. They'd be like, invite everyone. We're having a show tonight. And if people showed up, it was a gig. This is how he started. He named all of his, remember I said he had like 20 bands. So like just one guy showed up and they sat at the house. He's like, we're having a show. We're the fucking paper clips. Let's do this. It's just interesting to live that way. I, I find it fun. And also now they had his own steady job. He started to go to many concerts in Olympia and Seattle, uh, often as a roadie for the Melvins because the Melvins were kind of big. At that time, uh, like I said earlier, Kurt loved the Melvins and he, he slept all their equipment, smile on his face just to get a chance to be around them. When he was in the in fecal matter, they just played covers and a few originals, but mostly just covers of shit. But they got themselves into the punk scene in 86. Uh, and that's when fecal matters first EP or not fecal matter. The Melvins first EP came out in 1986. And that's when fecal matter disbanded. So Kurt was looking for a new band. During this time, too, he also starts dating a girl named Tracy Miranda in 1987. They dated till 1990. Uh, Kurt was still working as a handyman eventually as a janitor while dating Tracy, but that was only the first year of the relationship. The last three years of the relationship, uh, she supported Kurt in his musical ambitions. So she would go to work. He would just stay home and she was like, oh, he was watching TV all day. And then the next day he'd have a full blown song written or a big mural drawn, or a big plan to have concerts. And she, she loved actually helping him, which I thought was an interesting thing. She was like, keep going, man. You do you. You're doing really well. Most of the songs from Bleach and Nevermind were written in that apartment, actually. Tracy Miranda is probably the reason Nirvana even succeeded, even got to where yeah, they were. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that inside one of the album covers? This is dedicated to Tracy, the fat, retarded bitch who paid for everything <laughs> while I... <laughs> I wrote these songs. <laughs> no, no, I think you misquoted that. <laughs> the very next woman that showed him any interest, he was like, this is so much better. And then that's why he ended up with. I, not, no, it isn't. He had another girlfriend, actually. Kurt was working on, uh, on his art. She was working, but he was also in the phase of his life where you're just like, let's get fucked up all the time. Like he just started doing drugs heavily, all drugs and considerable amount of acid, like 88, 89 acid. He was doing almost every day. And so much that like Tracy in a montage of heck was like, yeah, he was doing lots of drugs, acid. Like she, 
There's lots of drugs, but she made sure to say acid. So I know he was doing a lot to that. 1986 and- is also the year he first tried heroin. His uh, dealer actually shot him up. And this guy that used to sell him all his drugs was like, hey, you want to try this? I don't know what to do. I'll do it for you. So these guys are fucking nice. He was 19. Kurt says between 87 and 90, he did heroin 10 times total. So it's not like he had a full-blown habit at this time, but he was experimenting. Uh, He's a fucking punker. You know what I mean? Of course, he's doing drugs. Makes sense. Kurt also claimed to have had stomach pains from time to time. It wasn't chronic yet, but later on in life, he said it was every day. He'd have bad stomach pains. Like, he couldn't eat. He'd puke all the time. It was debilitating. And he went to the doctors a few times to get that checked out. Excuse me. But they never actually found anything. Doctors were like, change your diet, man. Um, that's all I can tell you. Less heroin. Yeah. Le- but no, he wasn't doing heroin at this time. This is before <laughs> heroin. <laughs> yeah. Doctor's like, what's your heroin intake like these yeah. days? <laughs> Maybe go ahead and say right off the bat, let's do a little less of that. <laughs> uh, but even if the doctors would have found something, it wouldn't have mattered. They wouldn't have said anything anyway, because Tracy didn't have money to pay for all his medical bills. They would have just been like, why are you here? Get out. America. so he claims later in life he did the drugs to self-medicate the stomach pains okay so kurt starts asking chris again and again to form a band after fecal matter broke up and finally convinced him by showing him a home demo recorded for fecal matter and this is where nirvana begins it took them a bunch of shows to actually figure out a name they went and did like 10 different names nirvana if you don't know is a buddhist concept which Cobain later described as freedom from pain, suffering, and the external world. Concepts he aligned with the punk rock ethos and ideology. That sounds like heroin. Freedom from pain. Sounds like suicide. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. No, I'm not agreeing with that sentiment. I'm just saying that's like sounds like what somebody who is suicidal would consider suicide. For sure. Yep. Absolute, absolute nirvana is uh, is what they're all you know trying to achieve, right? Which is which is how a lot of people describe heroin. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like heroin to me, but it sounds like suicide too. You're not wrong. But he actually didn't even think that much. He he used to stay up super late and like smoke cigarettes, smoke weed and shit. He was watching late night TV and there was like a Buddhist commercial. And he's like, that sounds cool, bro. As he smashed another piece of his mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Buddhist commercial? Late night, like Uh, recruit Buddhist recruitment fucking commercial. Not even joking. I didn't know they did both. They uh, had a hard time finding a drummer, Nirvana did. Yeah, they're like fucking spot. They had like three or sorry, four before landing on a guy named Chad Channing, who played with them on their first album. In 1989, Nirvana signed with Sub Pop to record one album. Sub Pop is a pretty big indie label now. I don't know if you guys listen to, I don't know, so much indie rock or anything like that, but they're pretty big label now for an indie band, indie label. But back then, they were nothing. They had nothing. Nirvana, it's true. Nirvana is what made them, right? They used to have a hard time signing bands. Uh, and they signed Nirvana for $600 to write Bleach, to make Bleach. Uh, and Nirvana was happy to take that money. They've only made like $5 here, $10 there after schlepping all their gear around, doing shows all around. So they're fucking 600 bucks. Album sold, buddy. Mm-hmm. And on June 15th, 1989, the classic album Bleach is released. Sometime in 1990. So a year, it's, I think it's early in 1990. I, I couldn't get an exact date. So about six months into Bleach being released, Kurt and Tracy break up. I think it's just because they kind of grew out of each other. 
You know, Tracy's just like settling into a job, the routine, making money, looking towards the future. Kurt was doing acid every day and playing rock music at night. Like, I think they were just becoming separate. Yeah, that might be a wedge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, he just released an album. He's about to go on tour a lot. You know, I don't know. Big change. Lots of pressure. So they break up. Uh, The song about a girl is about Miranda, although she didn't know it until later. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's basically like... I'm not going to do the CL lyrics, but it's just like, yeah, you're cool and all, but I could do better. Like It's, it's like, you're cool, and all, but you're not doing what I want to do kind of thing. So if you listen to the lyrics, you'll see it's about Miranda. He wasn't single for too long. By the end of June 1990, Kurt was dating Toby Gale from another band called Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill is another Seattle punk band. Kurt loved dating her because he considered her his creative equal. Much different than Tracy. Tracy was the mom. You know, this girl here was like writing songs with him and stuff. They didn't date for long. And the only reason I mentioned her is because she's the inspiration for the name of their biggest song, Smells Like Teen Spirit. It was actually, Teen Spirit was actually a type of deodorant that Toby Vale used to wear. Oh, I thought it was a scent of a fat, retarded girl. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that's coming up a lot. Uh, (laughs) I'll stop. I don't don't feel good continuously saying Trying to find the moment. Did you feel good before you got in here today? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. You keep giving it to that fat, poor, slow girl, and you're no better than her cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Yeah, Teen Spirit was a type of deodorant that Toby Bell used to wear. And one of uh, Bikini Kill's other members wrote on Kurt's wall, Kurt smells like Teen Spirit when he was because he was smashing her. So he just kept seeing that on his wall. He didn't even know it was deodorant. He just like, that sounds cool, but it's about deodorant. Like the whole thing's deodorant. On September 22nd, 1990, Chad Channing parts ways with Nirvana for a few stupid reasons. I think is dumb. Good choice. Channing wanted to be involved more with the writing of songs. Like, are you, get the fuck out of here. Kurt Cobain's a fucking, like, no, you don't get to write. Kurt Cobain's here. Play the drums. Shut up. Yeah, yeah but I feel like in the moment, like, you don't realize who. You don't want that guy. You what? want the guy that sees Kurt Cobain and goes, that guy's a fucking. I don't artist. know. That's the guy you want. If you're Kirk Cobain. That's true. Yeah, everyone who's ever made it is uh, really, really delusional. And it doesn't matter what medium it is. So. <laughs> and look, just like the Beatles, you, you get 100 number one hits and then you go, okay, give me that fucking submarine song. What was it? Uh, Yellow Submarine. You, you let them write something. you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Kurt, fuck you, Kurt. I was on Kurt's side, but you're right. Let them write Yellow Submarine. Who gives a shit? Yeah, eventually you let them write Octopus Garden thing. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was actually the title. Yeah, they can remember. So. Yeah. That's uh, the difference between Ringo and George is that George never wrote anything and then he wrote While My Guitar Gently Sleeps. And actually people, george harrison wrote most of their songs like he i think he wrote a good more than mo- i don't know if he wrote more but he wrote almost equal towards the, other two. the towards the end he started to write a lot more but for a while george wasn't even really contributing and then he wrote good day sunshine and like you know while my guitar jazz, and they were like george where the fuck has this been and he's like oh i suppose i could write a few for you <laughs> I've got some bunking around in the old Jimmy Dunn. <laughs> I guess so. I'd have to look more into the Beatles. What's great is that doesn't even need to sound like him. It could just be any fucking British guy. And we, have no <laughs> yeah. idea. we don't need to know. 
so yeah the other reason they got he left the band is because kurt and chris thought it, his drumming sucked they were like he just sucked no he complained he didn't get to write and then you guys said that after you fucking assholes but anyways so they get their sixth and final drummer dave Grohl. yes that dave Grohl. if people don't know foo fighters dave Grohl. he was in nirvana if you didn't know that i don't know if people don't know that but i did kurt's still having chronic stomach pain he's complaining about it a lot more now He's massively depressed a lot of the time, according to Courtney Love. He's using heroin more and more often to medicate, according to him. And by 1990, his doing heroin turned into a full-blown addiction. By 1991, May 1991, Kurt meets his future wife, Courtney Love, at a Butthole Surfers concert in L.A. Kurt was backstage drinking cough syrup straight from the bottle when Courtney Love comes up to him pulls out her own separate, more powerful bottle of <laughs> cough syrup and cheers to some. Ah, amore. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's actually accounts of her and him meeting earlier while he was dating Toby Gale. Uh, Courtney was apparently following Nirvana's career, going uh, to a few of the shows. She, she would like, she was weirdly like follow musicians and like latch onto them if they, she thought they were going to be huge. So she met Kurt before the Butthole Service concert. She bumped into him at a Nirvana show and flirted with him for a bit. Uh, he was still I'm sorry, bu- bumped into him at his own. <laughs> he went to a show specifically to meet him, but she didn't realize Good. he was dating someone. Plus, like, she was like flirting with him, and they like, I don't know. They, he didn't. Kurt never had that in him. He didn't like the whole rock star life where girls throw themselves. He didn't understand girls were hitting on him. He didn't understand that. Everyone said that about him. He's just like, girls would head on and be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he'd go do his own thing. He was right into the music. So he didn't even realize she was hitting on him. So that's why I don't really, it could have been any girl, you know, but she went out looking for him at that time. I don't know. It's just a weird relationship they have. She liked him so much that she kept thinking about him. She said this, but she talked to Dave Grohl later at a different show. And Dave Grohl said that, oh, now Toby and him broke up. Courtney Love, being the creepy fuck she is, she... Oh, you're single now? She gets a heart-shaped box, fills it with a tiny porcelain doll, three dried roses, a miniature teacup, and some shellac-covered seashells, and douses it in her fucking perfume and, like, sends it to Kurt through the mail. Just to be like, haha, this'll... If this guy can't understand this is a flirt, I don't know what will. That could have gone a couple ways. I mean, I'm not Kurt. Somebody sends me that, and I go red flags yeah for sure <laughs> for sure but you understand how to talk to girls he didn't he would be like girl talking to me i wonder what this is about yeah 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 because that just sounds like she's got like a room in her basement marked projects you know yeah, what I mean? she does she definitely did like that is how yeah. i've i've read about her being described she we'll get into courtney a little bit more later but she she looked for a star and like found him and went to that like yeah. like at the time she met kurt she was dating uh, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. So she already lobbed onto somebody else that was fucking getting famous too. Um, but he did like that. He did like the heart-shaped box. He named a song after it later. Uh, but it wasn't until, that was before, but it wasn't until the cough syrup thing that those two became inseparable. Now, uh, actually, uh, here's my Courtney Love part right here. Uh, she was born July 9th, uh, 1964. She was a couple of years older than Cobain. I'm not going to go into a full history of her, but in 1980, she emancipated herself. Uh, and got a trust fund of $800 per month. So she's a trust fund kid, uh, which is about, just so everyone knows, uh, 2800 bucks American nowadays in today's money month. That's pretty good for an artist, a punk rock artist, living the punk rock life with lots of money. 
So when she got emancipated, she was 16 and she took that money and went to Japan and she was a topless dancer in Japan from 16 to 17. Way to go, Japan. Damn. That was Assholes. actually, that's, that's a big deal though, because she was, that's a huge accomplishment. She was the oldest topless dancer in Japan. <laughs> Good for they, her. They usually, yeah. yeah. Climb that ladder, man. Yeah. Yeah. She got deported when she was 17, later in 17, because uh, she lost her passport. I wonder why she lost her passport. So no one could tell she was 16. She also went to Hong Kong after that, and she was stripping. She was 18 years old, stripping in Hong Kong. And she says she tries heroin for the first time, thinking it was cocaine. She moves back to America. She actually gets a couple acting gigs. I didn't know. I knew she did People vs. Larry Flint later on in her life. But as a kid, she did some stuff before she was even in Hole. But nothing too huge, nothing to like set off her career or anything. So she learns guitar by herself and starts her band Hole. She Hole was actually a few weeks away from dropping their first album when her and Kurt had met. They bonded over doing drugs, the pair of them, and their love for punk music. Do drugs all the time, every day. Courtney actually didn't. Courtney like looks like she does a lot of drugs, but she didn't really have the same love for the fucking getting dr- fucked up as Kurt did. Like at the end of Kurt's life, they say that she had a $20 a day heroin habit and Kurt had a $400 a day heroin habit. So <laughs> sure, she liked to do drugs, but she also liked to be cognizant of what was going on. It, just really briefly, because I sure. know that we need to figure it out, but my story with Courtney Love was uh, myself and probably 40, 50 others uh, all went through the same experience where I found myself at Edge Fest, front row almost for whole, you know, okay. yeah. and uh, and she spent a lot of time with with one or the other foot on a monitor uh, slap at the base and was wearing zero underwear. And from the angle we were at, and it looked like, I know how to read people. It looked like it was something she decided she was gonna do before she went out there and she was having more fun (laughs) fucking with people than playing the songs. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. No, I like like how you know how to read people, but it it really sounded like you just like can read pussies. (laughs) Yeah. Read the palm. You know, Hole is a very good name for the band, but it could have been Bush. <laughs> that one was already taken. Yeah, Rossdale nailed that one. She was like, "Because a hole we only could guess about." Yeah, it was just uh, how deep does it go? No one will know. Who knows? Yeah. Oh my god. No, no doubt in my mind that was part of the shtick. She was doing that on purpose. She didn't mind. Like that montage of Heck documentary. That's like she called the documentarian guy and said, "Make a documentary about Kurt. I'll help you." And then in the documentary, there's like footage of her just nude all the time, like with her and Kurt. Like she just. I mean, there was off. people that were still just partying, but I remember looking around at the people that could see, because so close, could see everything we could see. And and while some people were just giving her, there was a bunch of people like like me that were just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Imagine very loud rock music and then just like 30 at least people just like. (laughs) (laughs) Baffled. Love it. You know, we didn't see that. We didn't think we're coming to this kind of show. But anyway. Yeah. Well, and and Edge Fest is not like 19 only, you know, or 18 only. You know what I mean? Like there's probably 12 year olds going, mommy, what's flapping in the wind? Yeah. 
Yeah. Drag it up there like the Japanese businessmen love this song. (laughs) Here's one for my boys in Hanoi. All right. Uh, she yeah. she is a scary bitch okay I, she used to use her trust fund money to like weasel her way into things right today i guess you'd call it like like i guess it's good business but i mean she would just like hey guys i'll come hang out and they'd be like uh we're, we're going like well I'll, I'll uh i'll pay for the cab you know or i'll uh i'll buy us all supper or something and she'd always weasel her way into stuff like that like like i said she was smashing billy corgan from smashing pumpkins i don't think he was super huge at this time but she saw it coming yeah, it's some it's some shameless hustling, but yeah. um, one thing I will note: uh, still less shameless than most comedians I've met. So, oh, for yeah. sure. Speaking of which, yeah. unethical twenty at checkout uh, for manscaped.com, you get free <laughs> worldwide shipping and twenty percent off your order. Uh, that's unethical twenty at checkout. All right, bleach at this time selling very well. Uh, the investment Sub Pop was making. Uh, into nirvana was paying off but for some reason sub pop was still having financial difficulties uh, there was a joke back in the day with if you worked at sub pop if you got your paycheck you have to run to the bank before everyone else because if you don't cash it you might not get it <laughs> sub pop was just signing too many people or just terrible business people um, so a few of their bigger bands including nirvana jump ship and moved to a major label their obligation to Sub Pop was done on December 31st, 1990, and Nirvana was almost instantly signed to Geffen. Nirvana records their first major label studio album, Nevermind, and it releases on September 24th, 1991. Apparently, Kurt wanted to call the album I Hate Myself and I Want to Die, but Geffen wouldn't let him. I don't know if that's for this album or if it's for In Utero, but maybe I got that mixed up. But either way, they were like, no, dude, you can't do that. <laughs> it's fine, whatever. Whatever, David. Never, never mind, David. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and earlier when I said Bleach was selling well, I wasn't lying. I meant it. It's selling well for a sub-pop album. Uh, before the release of Nevermind, Bleach sold 40,000 copies in the U.S., uh, probably more in Europe. Europe. Nirvana was huge in Europe, actually. Uh, but by December 31st, 1991, three months into uh, Nevermind's release, it had sold over 2 million copies. It's a big difference. In one oh, year, I probably, I, I probably got bleach after you know all the really cool people had already bought it. I was like so pumped that like I had that album. I'm like, yeah, I was listening to them since bleach, and then you're like, two million people, were cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they bought. I, that's never mind. That's when Nevermind came out. Three months into it, uh, oh. they they made them huge fucking rock stars, uh, like instantaneously, which is kind of hard uh it's kind of different right most people like build into fame nowadays anyway but then they went from like selling forty thousand albums to millions in a year and nirvana hated fucking being rock stars they were punk rockers cobain took the fame especially hard the other two like dave Grohl, always used to smile in interviews and stuff like nova Selleck looked drunk kind of some of the times but he didn't hate it as much but kurt cobain would just shut down he'd like fuck you i don't want to talk uh, he'd make jokes. Look at Girl today. He eagerly sold out. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That no, dude it, is like apex capitalism in the, of the music industry for sure. And I think he leaned into it after the ba- like after Nirvana, because it was part of the whole Nirvana shtick to be like that, right? Like any government, any establishment, like fuck the fuck the yeah. man. Except we are the man, which is hilarious. Like Kurt Cobain even said, Girl just oh sorry, I was just gonna say he just strikes me as somebody who would do anything for attention and money. Oh for sure. At this point, why not though? He's a fifty-five-year-old yeah. man just got kids 
I'm famous enough. Fuck it. I'll sell out. A, like, no, for sure. Yeah. Give her. So Kurt in interviews would just say how he hated how jocks and people that beat him up in high school were listening to his music now. Like he was fine. He just didn't like the fame. Uh, and he was being touted as the voice of Generation X and Nirvana as the next big thing. That's a lot of pressure for people who like they literally were just trying to make good songs and travel touring to like now they have to do fucking interviews with MTV. They, they, they literally say a couple times in interviews like, I don't care. I'm not answering. Just let the music speak for itself, which, like I said, it's a common theme. Yeah, they mocked a bunch of interviewers too. They'd be like, now you're tell they, you know, on MTV, they'd give them the mic, like an artist, and they'd be like, say you're listening to MTV one or whatever. And then they would say, you're listening to MTV, we're Nirvana, you're listening to MTV one. And then that would be like a clip between like music videos or something like that. Well, they would just be like, burr, 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 MTV one, blah, <laughs> like just assholes to the interviewers, which I find funny. Kurt said a bunch of times, he said, this fame's not worth it. Uh, it only, the only reason it is worth it is because he loves to perform live and he loved, he liked the big crowds at first. January 1992, Nevermind hits the number one on the US Billboard 200, unseating the king of pop himself, Michael Jackson, and his album Dangerous. Sounds more impressive than it is, actually. In my opinion, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. MJ was at the top of the chart for 252 weeks up to that point. <laughs> Nirvana was only at the top of the chart for one week being unseated by Garth Brooks the week after. Soon after, on January 11th, 1992, Nirvana was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you've ever seen that set before. I was going to show it to you guys, but I'm like, fucking SNL's a bunch of douchebags. They will get me in trouble. Uh, so I'll just tell you, they after they played Territorial Pissings, they smashed the fucking stage, and they, which they were known to do, just smash all their guitars and the amps and shit, monitors. So SNL actually prepared for them and put a bunch of shitty ones back there, so they didn't really care. Smash them up. Kurt looks a little lackluster in the whole thing, but it's still well done. I, I like it. It's pretty epic. The morning after SNL is when Kurt had his first overdose on heroin. This story is told by Kurt, uh, Courtney Love, and thank God she was there to revive the guys. <laughs> Otherwise, he probably would have died. On February 24th, 1992, Courtney Love and Kurt get married at the height of Nirvana's success. Five months after the release of Nevermind. Nirvana was just finishing up a Southeast Asia tour and Hole had just released their album a few months earlier. Courtney demands a prenup. She thought she was going to be a bigger rock star than Nirvana. <laughs> she literally thought Hole was going to outshine Nirvana very soon. They just released their album. You guys think you're big. Wait till you hear our album. And all she ever did was end up outshining her Hole. <laughs> That's a good point. Shining words. out. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Hmm. Kurt says whatever, what, whatever you want, and he signs it. Uh, they get married in Hawaii. Only eight people attend. Dave Grohl goes, but Nova Selleck doesn't because he and the newlyweds were in bad graces at the moment. Kurt was mad at Nova Selleck's girlfriend because she said she didn't like Courtney, so she wasn't invited. So Chris didn't go either. Neither of their parents <laughs> were invited. Kurt wore pajamas. <laughs> uh, like, like. Like Chris Novoselic's girlfriend like woke up one night and Courtney Love was just like standing over her, staring and like eating her hair. <laughs> and all she did was just tell the truth. And Kurt was like, fuck you. You don't like my fucking girlfriend. <laughs> you smell like my mom's house. <laughs> March 1992. So a month after they're married, the band almost breaks up after Kurt asks for more royalties than Novoselic and Grohl. You wanted retro pay too. <laughs> okay. Look. Look, I was willing to to let the whole 
sleeping with chunk thing go, but they're not chunk. <laughs> what was the guy's name? Hello, guys. I was okay with that. I was willing what? to let. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that guy. I was willing to let that go. But I don't. I think it's really not cool to to all of a sudden to all of a sudden be a money dickhead. You know what I mean? Like, yep. uh, yeah, yeah. And weird how it's a month after him and Courtney get married because I don't think it mattered to him. I think he just wanted to play music. I, I think that was more of a get more money. You write all the songs and you pay them the same. Fuck you. So that's not for sure. But sitting in the meeting, you're like. Kurt, does this have anything to do with the prenuptial agreement you signed? I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Okay. At this point, too, he's doing a lot of heroin. He's not at a $400 habit yet, but he is definitely doing heroin on the regular. So maybe it was about getting more drugs, too. I don't know. I don't that think seems so. more likely. Maybe. Uh, I mean, okay, but like also, like, I mean, have you ever seen two drug addicts together? Like, so yeah, part of it's probably her, but like the only thing that matters is their next time. Fix. Like, yeah 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 so it's it's there too i didn't want to like slant it towards totally courtney but i mean he was a druggie so money's a big thing so i i don't know courtney also just got married to him so it does not look good for her sure right so th- at this but point i don't think any part of this story ever looked good for her so i don't think anybody i think somebody who's like the biggest whole fan ever would tell like a whole a whole whole story and she well would we have bad. one here he met the whole first hand <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I looked deep into the void. <laughs> I came back, but I didn't almost didn't. I'd love to tell you I saw God. <laughs> that was Satan, brother. But I uh, did not. <laughs> yeah. So after the whole like asking for more money, they take like a five month break. They could have just made a killing on the road. They just didn't. Uh, Kurt, like I said, was a junkie. And according to Courtney, she he just wanted to hang out with her, paint and do heroin. Courtney claims that Kurt told her he had a plan. Make $3 million, quit the band, and become a junkie. So after five months of hanging out with pregnant Courtney, doing drugs and painting, Nirvana, I guess, convinced him to go back on the road, and they start touring again. Not long after, in August 1992, I think this is why they start touring, uh, Francis Bean Cobain is born, their, their child, their daughter. So I think she finds out she's pregnant and he goes, fuck, now I don't have my $3 million junkie fund back to work, I guess. So uh, this is August 18th, two weeks later on September 1st, Vanity Fair releases an article they did with Courtney Love, where she admits to have been doing heroin during the first trimester of the pregnancy. That's good. Sure. Yeah. She didn't know she was pregnant. And as soon as she found out, she said she stopped doing drugs right then. So... (laughs) With uh, Vanity Fair in hand, the L.A. Department of Children and Family Services reads, uh, heads over to their house and takes Francis away from the rock star duo. The media was super dramatic about this. Like I'm reading articles from back then. But like Francis was given to Courtney Love's sister. It's not like she went into fucking foster care system and got cigarettes put out on her. Like she was just put to the house next door. You know what I mean? Like it was, she wasn't far. A couple of months of meetings with social services later, Court and Courtney got custody of Francis back, but they had to undergo random drug tests. June 4th, 1993, we're getting there. June 4th, 1993, Courtney calls in a domestic disturbance on Kurt. When the police arrived, she told them that Kurt was trying to kill himself. The police detained the few guns and hold Kurt for questioning after for a few hours. At the time, this was reported as an assault on love from Cobain. 
So they were reporting that love, like Kurt Cobain was beating her. Apparently, he choked her after she threw a drink in his face. Uh, she denies the claims of assault at the time, claiming they were just wrestling, playing loud music, and the neighbors didn't like their lifestyle. During this time, oh, oh yeah, I also want to mention this. This has nothing to do with the story, and it doesn't really add to anything except for our hilarity. Uh, during this time, both Cobain and Love were publicly fighting with Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose specifically. Uh, they just kept saying that their music sucked in public. Like, just like, ah, oh, they fucking suck. Like, I love that. I found that so funny. <laughs> No, unnecessary. You don't need to do that, but fuck Axel Rose. I, I don't know. I think it's it's <laughs> I'm glad that happened. Let's yeah. Do that. Yeah, Axel Rose in that band, they you know, talk about somebody who could get canceled 20 years later. People forget a song called One in a Million. That's no, I don't think I don't. Yeah. Like fucking you you want to talk about fucked up songs and bands that like people need to go, whoa, no, because we need to still talk about this. That song, you read the lyrics of it, your jaw will hit the goddamn floor. It's not good. It doesn't look good for anyone. <laughs> it's a bad thing to uh, say. Oh, All man. of it. You don't even Yeah, the, now, uh, now I'm interested because I'm not a Guns N' Roses fan. So yeah, will, one in a million. One in a million. Listen to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and I didn't write it. So <laughs> <laughs> don't write Ryan Horwood. You cannot write yeah, the song. I did not write that shit, but Jesus Christ, I can't believe that that's something at a time where I was a kid, but but it we're not talking 40, 50 years ago. And that was something that was just allowed to be on an album. I know it's crazy. Damn. Fucked. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's okay. No, they, they do suck though, too. That's the thing. That's the thing that's funny about it. Uh, they just said their music's trash, and I love it. After Francis is born, actually, uh, Kurt starts writing for the next album, and In Utero is released in September 1993, and it's also a huge hit. 180,000 copies sold the first week, 15 million copies sold worldwide. It's not as big of a hit as Nevermind, which has now 30 million copies sold worldwide, but it was huge nonetheless. November 18th, 1993. So just um, two months later, basically a month and a half later, Nirvana does the famous MTV unplugged session. This actually ends up, this is what I thought was interesting about this. This ends up being their best selling album in the first five weeks. Like not overall, like never mind crushes it overall, but the first five weeks, it has the best sales in those first five weeks. And they also won a Grammy for this album in 1996. Courtney and Cobain buy a nice house in Seattle for $1.1 million. Cobain is so strung out at this time, uh, but he and the band start a European tour, tour for In Utero in mid-February 1994. Grohl said in an interview with Howard Stern in 1998 that the band was in the middle of breaking up by this time uh, when the tour for In Utero was happening in Europe. So according to Courtney, Kurt had been talking about going solo as well. Uh, I think, I think, from what my readings here, I, I think that he really liked the unplugged format of the show and he wanted like his rock stardom to like move towards that, like a guy on a stage like Johnny Cash, you know, not like a whole band craziness anymore because he was junky, like sitting down and playing and singing is way more fun. I don't know though. I just, that's what I gathered why he wanted to go solo was to be like that. I think things were different after Cobain because because you started to see artists that that wanted that kind of Cobain control to just do their own thing. And then you get guys like, you know, a little bit later, but Trent Reznor and, and guys like that who just wrote their albums by themselves and then hired whoever the fuck it was to be Nine Inch Nails. And it didn't matter because you came into the band knowing that this entire thing is is mine. 
Yeah. And you're just a hired guitar player, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a ton of shit like that now. Yeah. And now that's really common. There's a lot of shit like that now. Yeah. Queens of the Stone Age is still like that too, I think. People that just don't want to deal with the bullshit, you know? Like you can yeah. always hire somebody that can can do something. So on March first, ninety-four, just before getting on stage in Germany, Kurt calls his lawyer Rosemary Carroll, their entertainment lawyer, and he wants to get his will rewritten, according to her. The rewrite hasn't been made public, but uh, she says that he wanted to write Courtney out of the will completely. She allowed to say that? He's dead, so there's no client. Fair enough. I think um, my thoughts behind this is that he was like the, the a general thought on this. I have I'm mixed about this whole thing. So uh, I think he thought they were both junkies and he has a daughter now. And if he died, she would get all the money and just waste it all on fucking drugs. So he kind of want to leave Francis with a trust if he were to die doing too many drugs. That's what I think. And remember, she's the one who wanted the prenup, too, which I find hilarious. Five days into their tour, March 1st, 1991, after a show, after the show in Germany, same day he wanted to change the will, Cobain was diagnosed with bronchitis and severe laryngitis. He canceled the next show. He flew to Rome the next day for medical treatment and met up with Courtney and Francis. The next morning, Courtney found Cobain had overdosed on Rohypnol and champagne. Courtney said he ate 67 Rohypnol tablets. She called the ambulance and Cobain was in a coma for the next five days. The media said it was an overdose. Courtney later after the suicide said it was a suicide attempt because she told him that she thought about cheating on him. She didn't actually do it. She just thought about fucking Billy Corgan again. And he tried to kill himself. That's how much of a romantic he was. Okay. She just thought about it. She didn't actually fuck him. She thought about it. On March 18th, police responded to another call involving the Cobains. When police arrived at their house, Love told the police that he was locked in the bathroom and he had a gun. She claimed he was going to kill himself. During questioning, Cobain told the cops he locked himself in the room to get away from Courtney. And he was not suicidal. He just didn't want to see her face anymore. They questioned Love right after they talked to Cobain. And she admits she never saw a gun. She was just worried. March 25th, 1994, Courtney and Geffen plan an intervention with Kurt. About 10 people come. And after, after the whole intervention, Kurt agrees to go to rehab. March 30th, 1994, Kurt goes to Exodus Recovery Center in LA to try to detox. Just before Kurt had gone to visit, just before he actually went to the detox center, he went to visit his friend Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson is another musician and junkie. Not a musician of note, but a junkie of cred to the max because he used to shoot up with Kurt Cobain. Kurt convinces Dylan to buy him a shotgun. Kurt didn't want to buy the gun himself because of the recent gun trouble he had with the cops. But Kurt needed a gun because he needed it for protection. Kurt didn't have bodyguards. So they headed to a place called Stan's Gun Shop and bought a shotgun and some ammunition. Carlson knew Kurt was about to go to rehab and offered to hold the gun for him. Cobain declined. Two days into rehab, Kurt escapes by jumping over a six foot uh, brick wall in the smoking area. Uh, the funny part is all day long, he was walking around being like, I could break out of this place. No problem. You guys, this place is not, doesn't have good security. And everyone's like, Oh, that Kurt. 
such a good songwriter. And yeah, he did it. He jumped over the fucking fence. Everyone thought he was doing well too. Like he wasn't doing any drugs or anything, but I don't know if you've been around junkies. I have, they can fake it until they get their drugs. Kurt gets out. He escapes. He goes to the airport, buys himself a plane ticket with his credit card and heads back to Seattle. No one knows where he is, except for they know he's in Seattle later, but they don't know at first. They find out with his credit card information, but at first, where the fuck is he? On April 2nd, Michael Callie DeWitt is reported to have seen Kurt. Callie was a former whole roadie, Courtney's ex-boyfriend, and Francis's Manny. Callie was house-sitting for the infamous couple while they were on tour. Callie woke up one morning to Kurt singing to him at the end of his bed. Callie says he tries to convince Kurt to at least call Courtney, but he says, no, I'm not doing that. Kurt abruptly gets up and leaves. Kurt calls a taxi and asks the taxi driver to bring him to go get some ammunition for a shotgun, which they do. There's a receipt later found in the shotgun in the bed in a brown paper bag with the with the shotgun shells. Uh, other than the taxi driver, Callie is the last person to see Kurt alive. On April 3rd, Courtney files a missing persons report on Kurt, but does it under Kurt's mom's name, Wendy. I don't really know why she had to go that far with it. She says it's because she thought people thought she was a junkie and they wouldn't take her seriously. So if she went as Wendy's name, people would actually take her seriously. The same day, Courtney is so distraught, she hires a guy named Tom Grant. He was a former L.A. Sheriff's Department detective and current private dick to find Kurt. The police, Grant and others, search the couple's Seattle house over the next few days. And still, Kurt is nowhere to be found. As the story goes, Kurt went up into the greenhouse, which was on top of a detached garage, with his new gun he had just purchased for him by Dylan, the new shotgun shells he just bought himself, his cigar box heroin kit, pen, and paper. Then he locks the main door going into the attic, wedges the stool in front of another door that heads out to a patio, loads the shotgun with three shells, writes a lengthy suicide note, shoots up an amount of heroin that is three times the amount needed to kill a human, lays on the floor, puts the shotgun between his legs, barrel under his chin, pulls the trigger with his thumb, blowing his brains out. The gun had, was a lower caliber, so the bolt didn't even leave his skull. It just mashed up his brains on the inside. Didn't even look like his, his face was mashed up in the pictures, according to the people that had seen them. It just looked like blood was coming out of his head area. After investigations, uh, they find out that this must have happened on April 5th. Even though cops and Grant looked for Kurt in the house after April 5th, they missed out on the greenhouse. Like I said, it was on the detached garage, and it's kind of hard to see if you look at the pictures of it. I, I can understand why if he didn't live there, he wouldn't really know it was there. Plus, they just bought it not that long ago. It is pretty hidden. Three days later, on April 8th, Kurt is found by an electrician named Gary Smith, who was in the greenhouse to install a security system. They had actually oh, been burglarized a couple days before, a couple days before they went on tour. So they hired this guy to put in the security system. You don't think to fucking cancel that knowing you're going to fucking kill yourself? Mm, junkie. 
at first. I guess, yeah. I mean, obviously he doesn't, but like poor fucking Gary, dude. Can you imagine? Well, save your fucking sympathy for Gary. Give me a second here. At first, oh. Gary, it's okay. It's fine that you have it, but just wait. At first, Gary thought it was a mannequin. Okay, but then he goes up and like, hey, buddy. Oh, shit, it's fucking Kurt, Kurt Cobain's dead. So Gary Smith doesn't call the cops. Gary Smith calls his boss. I found Kurt Cobain dead in his house. What do I do? His boss says, I'll take care of this. I think Smith calls the cops. I'm not, I don't think he does. Cause this is the way, this way the story goes. Uh, his boss calls the cops. No, he doesn't. His boss calls the local radio st- station, KXRX FM, telling them that his buddy Gary found Cobain's body shot, suicided up in his own garage. The DJ didn't believe him. He's like, what the fuck are you talking? No, this isn't true. He's like, fuck man, I'm telling you. But they started believing real quick when the uh, police scanner started to head towards Cobain's house. They heard it on because like the radio station, I guess, had a police scanner. So I, that's why I think Gary called the police after he called his boss. They didn't air any of the conversation they had with uh, Gary's boss. But man, Jesus Christ, call the cops. It's a dead guy. He probably called in too. He probably was like, Next time a uh, big band rolls through, you give me a couple tickets. You know what I mean? Like, why the fuck are you calling the radio station, you jackass? <laughs> I have a I have a video of Gary Smith if you guys want to see. Yeah, I'll, I'll decide for myself if he's a piece of shit. I was trying to find the actual where they call in, but they never aired it. Do you guys see that? Dead this morning at his Seattle estate. The lead singer of Nirvana was apparently at the house alone. This morning, an electrician sent to work on a security system Same looked day. in the window of the garage apartment and saw a body on the floor. He had a shotgun laying across, pointing to his neck. And there was a uh, suicide note stuck in a potted plant that had been dumped out. Police officers had to break into the house to get to the body. They say the suicide happened sometime yesterday. The contents of the suicide note have not been released. The medical examiner has removed the body for an autopsy. Anyways, Gary doesn't really have much, but I just wanted to show you what a man who he just looked through the window, I guess, because he, he barricaded himself in there. Yeah, Gary, Gary doesn't seem like a bad guy. I don't think that's Gary's fault. I think he was just more concerned about his job and yeah, doing probably. the right thing. But I didn't shoot him. What those were? I only shot one guy before. I swear to God, I didn't shoot him. You can't fire me for this. I'm gonna get fired for this. I don't. That didn't seem like a man who had any rage fits, and and if he did, they were in his past. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, police pretty much instantaneously ruled it a suicide. Since Cobain's death, I've seen the uh, number as high as 68 copycat suicides since he's been dead, since uh, that happened. Nirvana, obviously, after that broke up pretty instantaneously. Uh, Courtney was a mess. She was in rehab when they found Kurt's body. The night before they found his body, she had overdosed and decided she needed to, to go, I guess, use up the rest of Kurt's rehab because she went to the same rehab center. Wait a minute. The night before they found Kurt's body? Yeah. The night before they found his body, she decided to go to a rehab place. But that's She had overdosed the night before. She overdosed the night before. So the next day when she got out of her over OD, she went to like the morning, the day they found it, I guess, is when she went to rehab. What'd she overdose on? Murder. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my point is that's still four or five days after they said he was apparently. Yeah, they didn't know that at the time, right? You heard the news art, the news clip. It said he somehow had time yesterday, but really it happened like three days before they found him. 
Since his death, there have been countless documentaries, podcasts, compilation sets that have given thousands of people jobs. So it's not all bad, right? I'm sure that brings great comfort to the families of the 68 suicide. That's true. You're welcome. I told you I'm doing it once. Don't make me do it again. Cobain, <laughs> Novoselic, and Grohl were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. Uh, I thought that was hilarious because I didn't think Grohl had been not put in there for Foo Fighters, but he actually was last year in 2021. So he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, once with Nirvana and once with Foo Fighters. Now the question is, did Kurt kill himself? That's the story. That's what we're trying to figure out. So there's a few major theories here, guys. So if you guys want to have some comments before I start ripping through the theories, be my guest. What do you guys got? Um, this is this is the quietest episode that, that Rick has had in some time. That's true. Are you okay, Rick? Yeah, I'm good. I'm just I'm just trying to soak it all in. I'm I'm listening for the mystery, you know. Oh, that's not like a confidence in a theory. There's not a, there's, uh, well, no, I mean, there's not really a whole lot for me to research here. I've been trying, but I, I'll start laying it out for you. There's a, there's a pretty good couple theories here. Um, have, do you guys know any of the theories? Like you guys obviously know, what, what do you guys know for theories here on this? Do you know anything? I, I just know the loose vague one that Courtney killed him. Okay. As a theory, I think that's the only thing. See, for me, the second you hear about somebody uh, changing a will, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, that that kind of a thing. It's weird because like, I, you know, what what drove it? I mean, two days, two days in rehab and you want to get out of there and you want to get some smack. I understand that. But like, are you running from rehab to kill yourself? Because you could have killed yourself there. Yeah, I just don't. Uh, you just bought a shotgun, though. You don't want to waste that, you know. I don't want to buy that for nothing. Yeah, uh, shotgun doesn't also seem like it would have been his way, man. Like if he had died with that overdose, I would have, I would have said, okay, yeah. But like, not a violent guy by nature, you know. And generally, somebody who's willing to end something with a gun is somebody that's not afraid of, of you know, abrupt violence. Like, it's just not. You know, women generally don't, men are the only ones that use guns by the numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but I don't, everything else you tell me about him and a shotgun under his chin doesn't seem like for me anyway, the way. Here's something I'll talk about in a bit, but I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. The shotgun was 50 inches long. He was 62 inches long. So like the way they say he would have had to hold it is so outrageously awkward. He, yeah, he pulled the trigger. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just go first theory. Kurt killed himself. I was going to do the second because this is my thoughts on the whole thing. After reading everything. Uh, I do think it actually was a suicide. I think it was very weird and fucking. I came into this thing thinking that Courtney had something to do with it. And I did a lot of reading and I, I don't know anymore. He, he mentioned suicide a lot in all his books, his journals. He writes, I hate myself. I want to die a lot. I don't know if that's his nineties fucking sarcastic or if it's just dark sense of humor it's just it's there a lot suicides talked about a lot uh courtney love would make anyone want to kill themselves that's another thing i wrote so he was married to courtney love that doesn't help uh she's a crazy biatch i don't think she's a huge reason but i know he was trying to divorce her which i didn't mention in the thing he was talking about divorce with her that actually affected him a lot too because when he was a kid the divorce affected him a lot and he said 
earlier on in his life that if he ever had to go through a divorce, he would kill himself. Whether that is the whole truth, I just know there's a lot to it, right? And Courtney says he's, he was diagnosed with bipolar. Maybe, maybe not. There's really only her saying that one. I don't know. I think, I think the reason, here's the real main reason for me, the random drug tests. I think that's why he killed himself. Because I think he knew he would never pass a random drug test. And that would just take get Francis taken away from him and Courtney. And she'd be put into the foster care system or away, not with him. Maybe it would just be with Courtney Love's sister, but maybe not. Uh, and he wanted to be a good dad. He was a good dad. There was a lot of videos of him being super nice. There's a lot of videos of him being strung out, holding her too, and passing out. But there's a lot of videos of him being a good guy too. And I think, I think he thought in his like bipolar, fucking depressed, got famous too quickly. And he noticed that uh, sales for in utero were less than never mind. He was on his, like he figured he was on his way out already. And the best way to take care of Francis would just to be get rid of himself. Cause maybe that would straighten Courtney out. He was a junkie, shot himself in the fucking head. Wow. It's crazy how well that worked and how on the, on the straight and narrow Courtney Love was in the years following. No, it didn't work. But I mean, I'm just trying to think like, I don't think there's a lot of happenstance that I'm going to get into in a bit, but I do think that he killed himself just after the whole thing. Uh, I think everyone, I think he was screaming for help the whole time. I don't know. Uh, mental health wasn't the same then as it is now. It wasn't even talked about. It was stigmatized way more than it. It's already still stigmatized, especially with men, uh, especially with suicidal stuff. So I don't even think, I think he was asking for help and everyone's like, quit being a fag. The exact same thing he didn't want, right? I, I think ultimately he might've killed himself, but I think what, you, what we're all talking about is I, I think Courtney Love and not to vilify her more than i think most people a lot of people do but i mean she's one i think you know cobain comes from a time where none of us were getting you know diagnosed with anything yeah. you know what i mean there there was not this kid has adhd this kid has this this kid it was these are the kids and then those are the slow kids what do you mean by slow? Well, it could mean fucking 30 different things. So like he very easily could have been bipolar his entire life. But I think she's a, she sounds like in, in everything that I saw. And I, I saw the look in her eyes when she was showing the 30 or 40 or 100 people her regime. Um, she's not, he's, he's twisted a little bit, this one, man. I saw it in her goddamn eyes. You know, she knew what I she saw was it doing. in her pussy. <laughs> I saw it. Well, after I got bored of looking at that for at least what was probably 17 minutes, I had lots of time <laughs> to look her dead in her fucked up eyes. And I think if anything, she might've been a bit of a, a master manipulator and and I really think when you're when you when you're in a drug riddled relationship and you've got one person playing puppet master. And I only say that because she has a history of latching herself onto people and being somewhat yep. of a succubus by the sounds of it. And, and I think like that kind of uh, narcissistic, you know, succubus kind of relationship is is the kind of thing where where she probably would have learned over a span of time of exactly what was going to push his buttons and fuck with his head. Like, why would she have ever told him she was thinking of fucking the Smashing Pumpkins guy? Exactly. Because I've been in relationships before. I think of fucking a lot of girls. But why would I ever tap my girl on the shoulder and go, look, I haven't made a phone call to this girl. I, I You know, she doesn't even know I exist. But I was thinking about it. And I just thought you should know I had a good old think about doing the deed. 
Yeah, Why? I think first of all first of all that story is her completely lying she fucked billy corgan and that's why he was pissed and he found out somehow uh that's what i think on that like oh yeah. damn yeah billy she, corgan would know let's get him on the line yeah let's get him on the line but whatever regardless the last line of his uh suicide note well not the last line but the last line of the before the ps because there's a ps in there is the famous neil young quote it's better to burn out than it is to fade. So I think there's a lot of the, he's going to lose, he thinks he's going to lose popularity. He's dating, Courtney loves his fucking wife. Uh, depression, drugs, all that stuff mixed together, plus the 90s not helping him was just the demise of Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. But that's not fun. That's lame. I don't like it. So we're going to get into the real theories here, the fun theories. Courtney Love had him killed. Uh, there's only really two there's only really two theories in this. There's actually three or four, two fringe ones, but two main ones. He killed himself. Courtney Love had him killed. Uh, believe it or not, the Courtney Love had him killed theory has been chased down by many different people. Uh, a few documentarians, a lot of rabid fans. But the biggest one, the most in, uh, to me, the most interesting person who tracked this down was a LX, ex-police officer and current private detective, Mr. Tom Grant. The same guy that Courtney had hired to find Kurt during those missing six days between April 3rd and April 8th when they found he the body. Her. That's the thing. That's a guy who fucking met her. He, and then he was hired by her. He was hired yeah, by her so to he, find him. Okay. So, yeah, he's just a good judge of character maybe, you know, because yeah. if you meet her, she's like, I didn't meet her. But, like, I'm telling you. I mean, I, you, you, I think that qualifies as meeting her. Yeah, you know what it is, is that you do shows for a long time, you learn to read people, right? And I'm telling you, she's not, she's... Tom Grant, did you watch that documentary, Soaked in Bleach? Did anybody watch that? Came out 2015, around the same time as the other one came out. It's 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 kind of shitty because it's very biased to his theories. People interviewed in the Soaked in Bleach claim that Grant wasn't trying to find the truth. He was trying to prove his theory, Right. So a lot of stuff that they said was taken out of context, but it does bring up some interesting points. Tom was actually a well-respected detective in the Seattle police department. It's not like he got fired. He's like, fuck you. I don't need you anyway. I'm going to become a private detective. He left. He didn't like the, the, the job of being a police officer. He left in 1977 to become a retail music seller, like sell fucking CDs or I guess records. Uh, when that fell through two years later, he opened the PD agency. Very well, smart guy, well-respected, like I said. Uh, and I think he, honestly, from watching Soak and Bleach, I, I think he truly believes he's doing the right thing. And he thinks that he caught Courtney. He thinks that, and he's actually trying to help. I think his intentions are good. So I'm just going to say that up front. Like I said, he was a detective in Seattle Police. He worked many murder cases. So he knew how to look at crime scenes. He knew what to look for when he was there. Yeah, so let's go. He claims a lot of shit. Let's go through it. So his major claim is that Kurt, couldn't have done as much heroin as he did and still been able to not only put away his drug kit, which they found nicely put away, roll down his sleeves, which they were, and also pull, lay on the ground, pull the trigger of the shotgun. He said by that time he would have been dead. That should have been the first thing that somebody thought because, you know, not just, uh, only because I've seen it in movies. But yeah. if you do a big old fucking thing of smack, you know, the first thing you do is lay back and, so what they're saying is he would have done all of that smack and then and then still had the wherewithal to grab a, a shotgun 
and pull a trigger. Let's assume he had it already. It's the putting away the drug kit, rolling down his sleeves and actually doing it. I think, I don't think he had to go looking for anything. It was all beside him. Okay. But we also established he had a $400 a day heroin habit for how long. And that plus the fact that heroin is that drug that you're going to, you gain the most tolerance from it and it only increases by doing it. That's why it's so bad because you just need more and more and more and more and more. I think if anyone was going to survive this, the minute or two that it takes to do that, it was going to be Kurt Cobain. Yeah. yeah let, let's, let me slow down a little bit here. So when she hired, when Courtney hired Tom Grant to look for him, she hired him on false pretenses. She called him in saying that she wanted to hire someone to find who stole her husband's credit card. Not to find Kurt, because she went and canceled his credit cards and found there was two charges. One charge was on the day he left the rehab to go fly back to L.A., okay, for a plane ticket. And the other charge was on April 8th, three days after his death, for some fucking flowers. So nobody really knows where the flowers went. Still a mystery on that one. But she said that's what she's told him. Come here, find the credit card. But when he shows up, she's like, no, I was just kidding. I want you to find Kurt. I know he's in Seattle. And she knew she, he was in Seattle because on April 2nd, when Callie had seen her, she told, she spoke with Callie eight times that day. Okay. She saw, she knew he was at the house. So she knew he was in fucking Seattle. Police found the receipt for the shotgun shells purchased on April 2nd. So we know the cabbie also saw Kurt on the second. So she knew calling in Grant on false pretense is weird enough. And remember when I said Courtney called the police under his mom's name? Courtney said she did this under Wendy's name because she knew that no one would take her as a junkie seriously. But Grant suggests that this call was made as a plant. So I, I think I, I think I didn't I forgot to mention this, but I should have mentioned it. Uh, Grant actually thought Courtney was suspicious from the second he met her. Like I said, because of she called him on false pretenses. So he starts recording conversations with her. And he released all those online. So I'm going to show you a couple of clips from his conversations with Courtney. Here's her admitting to doing Wendy's mom, which I just, it's there. So she admitted to doing it. You're the one that filed the missing persons report. Yeah. And I'll totally come forward with that because people wouldn't take me seriously. Yeah. Uh, she wanted police to look at Kurt, even though she knew where he was. So on April 6th was the first time Grant convinced Courtney to let him search the house for Kurt. So she had like, a day after his murder to like clean up kind of thing or alleged murder. So she wouldn't let Grant go to the house. She said, no, no, he's not there. He's got to be somewhere else. And then finally on the sixth, she says, it's okay. This is the day after he actually did kill himself. He was accompanied by Kurt's best friend. Grant was Dylan Carlson. The guy we talked about earlier, both of them didn't look in the greenhouse. And like I said, the greenhouse was kind of hidden on top of a detached garage. So unless he lived there, he would have missed it. The best friend wasn't much help either. Cause he was a junkie and he didn't live there. I didn't think Kurt was showing his pals his greenhouse unless he was growing poppies or some shit. The next day, April 7th, Courtney asks Grant to, and Carlson to go back to the house and look for Kurt again. Okay. She told him this time where they store their guns and to go look there and see if the shotgun's still there. When the duo get back to the house, they don't find Kurt or the gun, but they find a note sitting on the stairs just waiting for someone to come a looking. The note wasn't there the day before. The note was from Callie to Kurt, calling him an asshole for not to call in Courtney. And also Callie wrote in the note that he was so fucking surprised that Kurt had snuck into the ho- own house without Callie noticing. Callie was there the whole time. How did you do that? You're an asshole, man. Another interesting Callie says, says in a note to Kurt is that Courtney had another accident 
and she's in the hospital again, meaning she overdosed and now she's in the hospital or whatever. Immediately, Grant thought the Cali note was fake because it wasn't fucking there the day before. Here's here's our buddy Grant talking to Rosemary Carroll, who was the lawyer. But when I picked up that note and read it, oops, it, I just it didn't it sounded phony to me. It didn't it sound like, terribly it phony? It sounded like a setup letter. Absolutely. Know? I agree. Yeah. Okay, keep in mind, these are the guys that are, like, finding this shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's not just a third account. This is the guy who found that note. And he goes, this is bullshit. This note is not real. Like I said, Courtney was just in the hospital for an OD. She was in rehab, the same place Kurt was at. Was this an accident? This is actually the thing that comes out. Did she overdose on purpose to give herself an alibi? Or even worse, the note was there the day before where they were looking for Kurt. Said it had been dead for two days. Was it Callie hearing the duo walking around the house was the note real but callie heard them the day before because they just went in dylan they didn't go callie wasn't there so did he just hear them walking around the house and go like kurt man why are you walking around the house because callie's a fucking junkie too did he rate that for grant to find why courtney loves saint grant back the next day was the note that gives an alibi to callie because callie was actually at the hospital the day before with courtney when she over overdosed so callie is supposed to be the guy that fucking that's what he thinks Callie's the guy that shot him right but like to me the whole purposely ODing to give herself an alibi is ridiculous because like if you kill yourself like if you accidentally kill yourself you don't get the money you want (laughs) you know what I mean like okay Rosemary Carroll said she heard Courtney tell Dylan to make sure Grant checks the greenhouse this time on the second visit now I have audio of that as well talking to Dylan last night I said you know, I might not have even mentioned your name then. I might have just said it was somebody that was standing next to Courtney or something when, and overheard Courtney tell you to check the greenhouse. And he said, no, she never told me to check the greenhouse. Wow. So. I mean, the, the, that's, uh, you know, it's obvious that they're lying. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, apparently Courtney Love was in Rosemary's office when that had happened. So there's just interesting weird shit that's happened. So there's a bunch of the forensics in the room that don't make sense as well. There's four prints on the shotgun. None of them are usable. No prints on the shells either. Does this mean someone wiped down the shotgun before placing it back on Kurt? Maybe. Or it could also mean... Wait, there was no print on the shotgun? There were four prints. prints? There were four prints. None of them were reusable. Who... Sorry, who is Callie? Who is he? he? He's he's Courtney Love's friend. She used to be a roadie for whole and date Courtney Love. Okay, so... Uh, how well did Kurt know him? And did Callie, was Callie aware that he was changing his uh, will? Kurt was such a junkie at this point in his life. I think Courtney Love was kind of taking over being him in a way, right? She was like taking care of buying shit and like keeping Francis with diapers and keeping the nanny paid. So I think she just hired whoever the fuck. He was out creating a hole in his arm and she was figuring out ways to become Kurt so she could just control his money without having to have him around, which I think he preferred to tell you the truth. I think he wanted Damn, it. That way. I'm doing, she's like a junkie fucked up Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. To a point. I, I think that's what was going on. And, and I can understand that from a junkie perspective. Like I don't have to deal with all this shit and she will. Perfect. Here's my credit card. Here's my shit. Just do my shit. Sign for me on things. It's not like now where you can just tap and everything. Who gives a fuck? There is, she would have to learn a few things. 
to be him. Now, you know, you know what, though, this is a relationship I would have never, you know, knew existed and not for a second would I have trusted it. And, and my first thought is, is that now Courtney has a junkie that she gets to be a junkie with that's not Kurt. And now she's got somebody who she's had this relationship with and whatever it looks like on the outside, I, I, I 100% believe that the two of them could have been uh, conspiring, maybe not to kill Kurt, but certainly to like, you know, bleed him for his money, like that kind of a thing I don't doubt for a second. Yeah. And I think that was a lot of what was going on too, because there's probably a million different fucking people you could have hired to be your nanny. Why pick Listen your ex-boyfriend? Right? You know, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, like that seems like the most fucked up situation. And you want to know why? Like, if a guy kills himself, like, yeah, I understand he's doing a lot of smack at the time, but at the same at the same time, Kurt knows who this guy is, right? Yeah. And then like, whose wife? tells a guy hey by the way my ex-boyfriend's moving in to spend a lot of time with me and the kid while you're busy exactly exactly yeah it's fucked the the crime scene's weird no no uh prints on the shells either right uh a lot of th- people say that it's because somebody wiped it down but there's also forensic people that say in a humid environment like a, a greenhouse or they never really tested the gun for prints for the first month and then they never did the bullets for years, like the shells for years. So you can actually like wipe them off, just moving them around, stuff like that. Um, it's not uncommon for prints on shotguns not to last because of the round surfaces all around. It's, 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 you can get prints, but it's not uncommon. But someone could have wiped it down as well. Cops right away assumed suicide. So that didn't help either because they saw a gun in someone's face. So they treated it like fuck whatever. Didn't treat it like a crime scene, which they probably should have, especially considering this was going to be huge news and you're going to be scrutinized no matter what. This is Kurt Cobain. He was the biggest fucking star, rock star in the world at the time. By far. Everyone knew who he was. Another weird piece of forensics is where the shell actually landed after being shot. The shotgun shell was found on the left side of Cobain's body, but apparently, and I'm not a gun person, so I don't know this, but if he was holding the gun, like I described earlier, through his legs, pulling the trigger with his thumb, the shell would have actually ejected on the right side. It's just suspicious. It doesn't mean that a cop didn't accidentally kick it when they first got in there and they just put it back kind of where they thought it was or whatever. A lot of things they say, forensic experts say police without even knowing it fuck up crime scenes all the time. It's not uncommon. It's actually more common than we want to believe. Yeah, I heard that when they got there, they saw a guy with a gun and they shot him 15 times <laughs> before they realized. Is he black? Get him 10 more times. Oh, he's white. Yeah. Just five. Oh, he's just blue because he's rotting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, another weird thing is the suicide note that I was found with a pen stabbed through it in a potted plant. I could read it if you guys want. I do have it written down. It's 570 words. It's quite lengthy. The only the last few sentences sound like a suicide note. The rest of it sounds more like a retirement letter. He writes the letter to his imaginary friend, kid friend, uh, Boda. It alludes that he's quitting Nirvana. There's many signs that Nirvana was already on its way to breaking up before the 1998 interview where Dave Grohl says they were breaking up. Nirvana had actually just backed out of a $10 million Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza gig. $10 million. Jesus. The last four, not only the last four sentences about his family, it's the only four sentences about his family. The last four sentences of the suicide note look like they were written by someone else. The last four sentences, it has like a larger font change in tone and it indicates suicide 
almost directly. Uh, if you want me to read the whole note, I'm, I could, but the last four sentences go, Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which it will be so much better without me. I love you. I love you. The rest of it's just like, it's more poetic and shit like that. It has like a, a actual letters to it like if you open up the suicide note you can see it like it's very obvious that it's bigger letters their lawyer rosemary carroll supposedly said that she found a paper in courtney love's bag that looked like courtney had been practicing someone else's handwriting uh, it looked like kurt's handwriting because they were both the same they both had the same entertainment lawyer the linguist see which it makes it look suspicious but like i said earlier i think she was trying to help like not help kurt but just take over kurt's life so like her trying to learn how he writes is a way to take over his life, right? Like, well, that, that, and I don't see any reason that like, like, I think that it's possible that she's complicit without actually killing him in, in the sense that like, maybe, you know, like, like Ryan said, like, she's like a super fucking manipulator. So that like, just drove him further and further, probably enabled him to the moon with the drug habit. But then, like, if she found him dead, it seems like a her thing to just, like, write his suicide note for him, when in reality, he probably didn't at all. It could be. It could be. It sounds like, I don't want to read it. It's long. I'll just leave it. And if people want to read it, then go read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's it's fine. Very, yeah. It's very, uh, it's sad, and it kind of, like, alludes to them quitting, and it makes you think that Kurt wrote it, because it's really written in a way Kurt would, like, think, like, after reading Well, is it, I, and is it? Is it a suicide note or is it a song he was working on? It could yeah, be too. it could be. That's too. what I was going with, like journaling and that they turned it into a suicide note at the yeah, end. Like she just like, like went through his notebooks. That's what it feels then. like. Yeah. I don't I don't know what basically nobody does, but like there's too many things. I grew up hunting. So the second you said that the shell casing was on the left hand side of his body, I mean that does and then also you're gonna kick that what are you gonna kick that through him or <laughs> no i know i'm just it, saying you know what i mean or you kicked it from the right as a cop you kicked it from the right hand side of the body it hit the body skipped up in the air and went to the other side and you didn't look at that for one second and go maybe that's an issue you know? I, well i will personally or, never underestimate the inexplicable ways in which cops fuck things up no true however enough. i'm with you <laughs> Sorry, the second she makes contact, the one thing, like for me, when you start everything on a fucking lie, then like, like automatically, I don't know, you know, I don't think anyone should believe a fucking word that comes out of her mouth after that. Like her first reaction should have, you know, in yeah. her own name from the police and, and file the missing persons. And if she does that, as soon as somebody would, 24 hours or something, I'm far less suspicious. But the way that she tackled this right from the get-go, using other people's names and like all of this other horse shit. Yeah. The fact that he was dead for days before she had her overdose, yeah. you know? Yeah, it all looks very suspicious. And this is Tom Grant saying this. Tom Grant's pulling out all, and there's still more points. There's still more things that make it look more and more like Courtney's a fucking psychopath. Like, Okay, first of all, we're still on the note here a little bit. The linguist that was in Soaked in Bleach, she was one of the main people that were like, he took my sentence, my what I said, out of context. She says that the whole note is a suicide note and written by the same person. What she thinks is that Mr. Cobain did heroin, 
realized, hey, I didn't even say anything about Francis or Courtney in this fucking note. Maybe I should go write it a little bit more and then blow my brains out. So he was all fucked up. That's why the note looks all different, but it's still his handwriting. This is what the, the linguistic expert says. It's him. I, I don't know. I look at it and I'm like, that looks like different fucking writing. I'll die on this hill. Handwriting science is fake. It is fake. And she, and they even say that. She says, it's not 100% science. It's It's what I think. I think it looks like a different person's handwriting, kind of, but it could be if you're that fucked up and you're all like, and you're writing, you'd write differently, I think. I don't know. Oh my God, dude, for real, you fucking are a different person. I, I once walked in um, on my, uh, uh, I won't say who, but I, <laughs> <laughs> coward. Yeah, uh, family member. Um, Dad, he keep was. Going. No, no, hey, my father was a lot of things. He was not a heroin addict. Okay, good. No, he was, he was, had the remote control for the TV and he's tapping it and he's getting fucking furious because our, he thought it was the fucking house phone that the, the, the phone wasn't working. He was putting a remote control in his ear and pressing buttons on it. And then gave up just by passing out. But I've done that smoking weed. I've been that high just smoking weed. Like, this phone doesn't work. Doesn't even flip anymore. <laughs> you got heroin weed. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, either way, right? It, it could be either or, judging by what's been looked at by this. Next thing. Remember when I said off, fat, off the bat, his main thing is that heroin, he was so fucked up on heroin that he wouldn't be able to pull the trigger? He did three times the amount. Uh, a person would do a normal person to die. Uh, I know Kurt was a junkie, like you said earlier, and he probably had resistance and he could have rolled down his sleeve. He could have put his heroin, a kid away, set up the gun, shoot himself. Sure. But the problem is, is there's no real quantifiable evidence on what the resilience is to heroin. There's a lot of studies done on morphine or dilaudid. But heroin is like a fucking shot in the dark. You don't know what you're actually getting. How powerful is it? How it's not the same. It's not yeah. like there's ever been a study done with like, here you go, junkies, do what you need to do. And then they can figure out what the resistances are. It's it's very. Yeah. Uh, so to say that he had the resistance is sure. I think that's what it is. And police and stuff say no. He, like Grant says, no, he could have never done it. But dude, like you said, $400 a day habit. Well, that's what, yeah, that's one of those things. That it's the argument against it's as strong as the argument for it, because yeah. if you can't prove it, then. Well, he, here's even more. This is where my wheels turn. I, I'm thinking like, you know, maybe there's most of that is what he would have normally done. And if he was doing some heroin with Courtney, then maybe, you know, he lays back and she throws some more in his arm. And now he's out cold and you can move him to a fucking sunroom that's in the middle. Because for me, why write a fucking note? Like, like he's not a house cat. Like I, I just where they found him, I, right from the get-go, I've never felt really comfortable with like, why fucking there? Why talk to some fucking some garage, uh, yeah, you know, like I, I don't. It, it's super I, suspicious. I, I really, yeah, and I think that Courtney Love, this Cali guy, could probably carry like a five foot nine or whatever he is, Kurt Cobain. You know, one hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, stage something. Yeah, stage yeah. something together. You well, know there, what I mean? Like, there, there's one more super suspicious thing, and then I'll tell you what the Tom thinks. So, this is fucked to me too. The chief medical examiner that declared Kurt's death as a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head was friends with Courtney Love. 
this guy in medical school to make some money on the side was booking punk shows. And he booked a lot of whole shows. He booked a lot of Nirvana shows. He booked actually like their third show ever in the eighties. So did she have someone on the inside to declare this a suicide by gunshot to the fucking head? Why the fuck is that even a thing? Like what, why would anyone allow that to happen? Like the medical examiner just so happens to have a connection back to the victims. What the fuck kind of, what is this shit? Like, this is a fucking movie. This is know. all fake. It's crazy. It's true. Yeah, though. They, they made the, the, they took the time to make the fucking Tommy and Pamela sex tape uh, movie. And this is the movie that they should make. That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Because so, not only, you know, can he say whatever the fuck he wants to say, and then that's the report, but you know, did he have any idea that this happened before everyone else? And was there any coaching from his side of things, you know? Yeah, there could have been. Uh, if they were friends enough, who knows if he had like a little side smack habit and they were fucking doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Who knows what this guy, why, what's this guy's motivation? 100%. What Tom Grant says, he thinks that Courtney couldn't have done it. She has an airtight alibi OD in the hospital. Okay. But what she thinks is she got Callie to go and do some snack with him up in that little shed by themselves. He was probably hanging out with them the whole time. He probably was never up there missing. He was probably in the house before this until she said, oh, go check at the house magically. And she probably expected him to go find him at the sixth that day and the top. But fucking Dylan's a dumb, dumb and doesn't understand to go up in the fucking attic. So she had to leave a note for him. But they go up there, they do heroin and they kind of lay back. And then Callie gives him just that little bit more, puts away all his shit, takes out a shotgun, shoots him in the fucking head. Nobody's the wiser. He leaves that little upstairs room, locks the door behind him because one side was propped. The other one was just like one of those like push in locks where you turn a door. You could just lock it like that and leave. It's not like you need the key to do that. And then go, I don't know where he is until people find him. So that's what Tom Grant thinks. He thinks either that or Dylan had something to do with it Um, because Dylan did buy the shotgun. Dylan did kind of make him not go to the I, I don't think Dylan has it I think it's more Callie because Callie was living no I there. don't think I don't think Dylan has anything to do with personally because there yeah. was something you said earlier that's just stuck with me and that was uh Courtney saying to somebody go check to see where the guns are yeah that's what he so it's Kurt's gun but clearly she knows where the guns are there's access where she can check to see so it's not a gun cabinet Go check to see if the gun's there doesn't mean like you have the password, open the door. They're just left out somewhere. But, you know, she clearly knows where they are. That means Callie knows where they are. Yeah, they're saying Callie has a financial motivation because he is much more of a junkie and he's not actually working. He's like a very low-level musician. But they say he stole the credit card and tried to use it, but Courtney canceled it and blah, blah, blah. They couldn't really figure it out. But the thing is, Kurt's still at 120 bucks in his pocket. If you're doing this for financials, you're going to search your pocket, take all their drugs, especially since you're a junkie. You're going to do all that stuff too, not just the credit card, right? Mm. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I just don't buy that. I don't buy that or Dylan's a part of it, right? No, I don't buy that Dylan's a part of it. No. But yeah. The Cali thing, like, I think you don't take 120 bucks out of a guy's pocket to, to maybe create suspicion because junkies are still calculated. Yeah. And I think he's thinking big picture. I mean, he, he's, he's, 
he's probably under the impression he's manipulating Courtney in some way. And Courtney's really just using him as a tool to get rid of Kurt and keep his money. Well, here it goes. It gets a little bit more complicated even if I get further into it here. So Grant thinks Courtney planned to kill uh, Kurt way more in advance. It all starts when Kurt tries to take Courtney out of his will. During that time, there are rumors of divorce looming. If Kurt got a divorce, Beshi would get his half his money, if not less. Remember, she wanted the prenup. So Grant says after Kurt made a call for the will change, Courtney came up with a plan. And if true, all the rumors about Courtney Love being a complete cunt are under-exaggerated. Grant doesn't think Kurt told her he was doing this, but she must have gotten wind of it somehow and planned her attack. So Courtney wasn't going to get any money. She was already pissed Nirvana canceled out on the $10 million gig at Lollapalooza. She wasn't going to get any of that 10 milli because she was whole was supposed to get it for like $10,000. They said no. Then they said, okay, fine. We'll get Nirvana for 10 million. So she was just pissed about that to begin with. And then he says, no, she starts the plan by stalling Kurt from signing his new will by doing the intervention, right? You're going to, we're going to break up. The band was there. The band's threatened to break up. If they didn't clean up the record label said, fuck this, we're done. Right. Courtney probably used Francis to scare him into rehab would be my guess. Uh, once he escapes rehab, Courtney thinks the perfect time to strike. So she go knows Callie's a junkie and in love with her or whatever. So she either pays him, gives him drugs or blows him to convince him to shoot up Kurt and blowing his buddy's brains out. Seems a bit bananas because Callie's watching their kid, right? One sec, one sec, Francis, I'll change your diaper soon. Just got to get something done first. Then he comes down after blowing his brains out, wiping, using baby wipes to clean his face. Like, I'll clean your ass after I'm done. Like, I, I think that's the, where that gets a little bit out of hand with me. He was watching the fucking kid. Some theorists think her plot to kill Kurt became even earlier in Rome when he OD'd on the Rohypnols. The prescription for those drugs were under her name. Uh, 67 is a lot. I don't know if you guys ever been to the fucking pharmacist before. Uh, but they usually give you 50 of something if they're going to give you lots of something anyway. 67 is a lot. Theory goes that Courtney slipped the date rape drugs into his drink without him noticing, thinking it would kill him. When he got up from his coma, she thought she had uh, found another way. But remember, she was the one who called 911 and ultimately saved his life. So why not just wait a couple more minutes and let him die and then call 911? You know what I mean? It could just be, too, that she was certain it would kill him before they got there. It could be either one. Like, she thought he was dead already because she's that, like, she didn't check. Or she didn't want to be the one to murder him, so she wanted to convince someone else. She didn't even say it was a suicide attempt in Rome until later, until Kurt died. She said there was a suicide note and everything. She admits that he was talking about divorce. One more second here. She admits that he was talking about divorce, actually, to our good friend... Tom Grant. It's like little pieces of paper, and it says um, there's there's three or there's, there were three or four. I think there were four. Why did why would somebody tell you to get rid of that? Because it wasn't really nice. They talked about um, getting a divorce. So she knew he was getting a divorce. Yeah, like I said, she's talking about this apparent suicide note from Rohypno that she burned. She said someone told her she had to burn it. Uh, I wish I could show you the note. All of this sounds suspicious, just right there. So that's that's basically Tom Grant's theory. All right, so another theory go along the lines of Courtney getting Kurt killed is she hired a hitman to do it instead of it being Callie or Dylan. This theory is brought to you by the guy, uh, brought to you guys by a guy named El Duce in 1997. Here's a clip of El Duce. <laughs> 
just remember this is the guy that gives us this theory okay welcome back today let's look at the world of shock rock bands who break all the rules in order to thrill their fans now we've been talking to el duce the leader of the rock band the mentors and his groupie dominique now el duce you say that uh you promote rape uh well my next guest is a mother um she is outraged at what you do. Let's bring her out now. Here is... Welcome to the show. I suspect that you're going to be speaking now for the mothers of America, Hi. for most of them. Uh, go ahead. What, what do you think of all this? Well, Jerry, I'll tell you something. I was a victim of rape, gang rape, okay? I didn't enjoy it. I don't see anything funny in it. And I don't see anything funny in it. I don't... The only reason why you're doing it is because you're getting the money. Any, you guys are sitting up here and promoting it. You know what you're doing to kids? Do you realize that you're making boys think that they can go out and do this to girls and take their innocence away when they don't want it taken away? Well, girls should go out there ever. I'm sorry, I wasn't advertising for it. I was only 12 years old. Well, you got to start sometime. All right, so that's El Duce. Uh <laughs> that is such a fucking put on. It's crazy. I know, but El Duce is a real guy. But I'm just showing you this. He describes himself as a rape rock artist. So let's let's keep El Duce in fucking mind when I tell the story. But there is a lot to it. So El Duce or Eldon Hoke, he's a musician. Courtney knew from his band, The Mentors. The story is that Courtney Love pulled up in a limousine to the record shop where he worked, came in. Offered El Duce 50K to blow Kurt's brains out. This was supposedly in December 1993 before the death of Kurt. All right, it starts sounding like horseshit, right? Keeps going. He says Courtney goes to him thinking this is uh, he's the murdering type because he is one of those guys that is known in the punk rock community as someone who will do anything for money. So the limo story is later confirmed by his co-worker at the record shop. El Duce thinks she is joking until Kurt's death is all over the news. El Duce is put through a polygraph which he passes with flying colors. The guy who did the polygraph is a well-known man named Dr. Edward Gelb. He did the polygraph for OJ that OJ failed right after his wife was murdered. The other guy working at the store was trying to do the polygraph as well, but he kept passing out because he was too fucking high. Uh, so he fell asleep during a polygraph. Uh, El Duce, I know polygraphs aren't exact science. and You could just believe something, whether it's true or not. You could lie to yourself so much. To make you think it's you could beat a polygraph they're not impossible to beat but he did pass the polygraph el duce retells the story to documentarian nick Bo uh, broomfield who is filming for his documentary kurt and courtney in the interview he accidentally let slip that he knows who killed kurt cobain and he let slip the first name of the guy in that interview he says my buddy alan oops and then he starts laughing and when he's done his laugh he says i'll let the fbi find him Nobody really knows who Alan really is, but people like to speculate. The rest of what I'm about to say, uh, not the rest, but the next little chunk is speculation. There's no confirmation of this, but everyone thinks it's a guy named Alan Wrench, who's another punk rocker guy. His name was Alan Wrench, punk rock guys. Alan Wrench was not known as a guy that will commit violence for money. So apparently, shortly after the death of Kurt, Alan and all of a sudden had enough money to buy a house 
Eight days after the interview for Kurt and Courtney, El Duce is found dead, decapitated while getting run over by a train going 60 kilometers per hour in Riverside, California. Did El Duce put Courtney in contact with Alan? That has been postulated on the internet. Did Alan kill El Duce to keep him quiet? Or is this just a huge coincidence? It's a huge coincidence. I feel like El Duce could be killed at any moment, at any time by anyone. So I feel <laughs> like that's a really hard wrinkle to throw in there. You know, that, that woman on Jerry Springer was ready to kill him. So yeah. Oh yeah, she would have too. He, he, he doesn't get better. He goes, what year were you raped in? She goes, 70. He goes, I thought you looked familiar. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, it, dude, it's such like a clear fucking, you know, sh- bullshit yeah. put on type. But uh, it is a coincidence because El Duce, I guess some friends were there when he got smoked by the train, or apparently they said that they he was walking behind them. They called his name. I'm just going to say it's too bad that it happened like that, though. You know what I mean? That seems like it would have been too quick and too painless for a guy like that. And and I wanted it to happen. I wanted him to get railed, you know, but uh, <laughs> nice. That would be funny if like by accident, he's like straddling the train tracks and an entire train went up his ass. That's what he deserves, right? Yeah. <laughs> the only the only shame to this is that guy's the only guy getting railed and the fat slow girl didn't even get any. <laughs> the two of them could have found love. So yeah, they apparently some friends were there when he died. They called his name and he turned around to go, hey, what? I'm El Duce. And he got his foot stuck in the track and he just got fucking hammered by a train. Just bad luck on his thing. That's <laughs> awesome. Maybe it was at least an incredibly panicked last like 30 seconds. Yeah. The train is the dumbest way to fucking die, man. It's just like... Don't walk on the tracks! <laughs> yeah. If I got killed by a train, I'd be like, I think I fully deserve whatever happened. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I honestly just thought you guys should hear about El Duce. That's uh, really the only sure. Maybe that guy, Alan Wrench, had money to fucking buy a house. There's no proof of it. There's none of that anywhere. It's just a lot of fun speculation. Seems really far-fetched, but you know what I mean? Like, last theory. Those are the Courtney theories, really. The last real theory is my theory. I kind of made this one up. The record label had him killed. That's a good that's a good theory, though, I think, because the amount of money that's changing hands and then if he dies, who takes, you know, I, I think you're talking Geffen, like his record label. No, I'm thinking like anyone in that business like that wouldn't, especially with the amount of money that was being made off of albums at the time. Yeah, like that's you know, pre and stuff like that. We're talking about fucking hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, because I wasn't talking about Geffen. I'm glad you said that because Geffen was making them a shit ton of money. Geffen would have loved him. I'm talking about Michael Jackson's label. You don't take fucking Dangerous down from the top fucking spot without any repercussions. That album's not called Uh, Dangerous for nothing, motherfucker. 252 weeks for a reason. Nobody steps to the MJ. Nobody steps to MJ and doesn't live after it. Backwards and smoothly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's also another theory that that I heard uh, polstering around the internet was that the CIA had him killed. And the reason for that was that these are the two secondary theories I was talking about. The reason for that is that Kurt Cobain endorsed Bill Clinton for presidency in 1992. And he was running against George Bush Sr. George Bush Sr.'s job was what? Head of the CIA. Correct. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of far-fetched because the CIA stopped doing shady shit like that in the 70s after... 
they got caught. So that one's I'm gonna trust the guy who's in the CIA. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not. just saying inciting. Yeah, that's what a spy would say. Spies don't go around going like I'm a spy. They go, I'm not a spy. So way to prove yeah. you're a spy even more. All right, yeah, you got me there. <laughs> well, now I totally believe that it was Courtney and her and her uh, meth head friend Callie. I oh, and with you know what? Here's the other thing that I thought though, and I know that we're we're towards the end but we talked about the the guy who what, what is he he's the he's the guy who corner the corner that she knew that yeah. was, she was doing a bunch of stuff yeah. with. man it's like in pods like humpback whales doing heroin you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah i don't know if the metal i shouldn't say the medical examiner was doing heroin i was just saying maybe he was i'm That's gonna not, say it okay. because, <laughs> here's my, because i just don't want to be like misrepresenting <laughs> They're all enabling. Once you find a group of people that are cool with you whipping out a needle, then those are your close buddies. Because guess what? Generally, that doesn't that doesn't fly at a barbecue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would explain why I've been disinvited to barbecues. <laughs> you look like parties yeah. a needle before you were born. But I don't think that to me, if if I'm writing the movie and and what I have in my head is I have those very fucked up three people sitting around talking about how they're going to make sure Courtney gets that money and what they're all going to do with it. And then I think that the fucking the guy who was there to say what happened after it happened, I think in large part, that guy probably coached the other two of them through how the fuck they would do it. And then maybe the four of them were sitting around doing heroin. And then, yeah, you know, all of a sudden Kurt's got three times as much heroin as Here's the thing, right? If you're bad at dosing out yourself a, a fucking uh, armful of heroin, you don't you don't become a successful heroin uh, user. And by that, I mean, you don't get to do it for a decade without dying. You know what I mean? So it's like, for me, if that guy's doing heroin for the first time and he and he puts together a fucking lid and just and and he's done. And that makes sense to me. But a guy who's been able to put the right amount of heroin in a needle for almost a fucking decade. Yeah, it's four years, but still, I know what you're saying. It's four long years. But would heroin addicts agree on wasting that heroin? Oh, well, now that I've got it spooned up, I got a fucking, you know, I can't eat half a dragon. But, but- <laughs> it's so funny. They just, they keep trying to do it. And they're like, well, a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> did anyone actually get his money or did it all just end up into a trust for his daughter? Did all of it end up in the trust? Courtney Love has a good it. Question. Courtney Love. Well, no, his daughter got like $450 million into a trust. Yeah, but Courtney Love controls all of it. Cor- Francis got it when she was 18 years old. Courtney had all of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. She was one years old. But Courtney, I mean, Courtney couldn't touch it. She has all the money. She has all good. Courtney could only spend it on Francis. She has, uh, yeah, that just that for whatever that, but the rest of it, is all his royalties and shit goes to her. She argues, she fought with Dave Grohl for years. It was just recently that she, like, they fought over like an unreleased song. They, she's been hoarding that money. Trust me. She's, she got her fair fucking share. Francis got a lot of money and I don't want to disparage Francis. I don't even want to talk about her really that much. Cause she's just a fucking person who was a baby when this happened. And she probably hears enough about it. But Courtney Love, I don't mind disparaging. Fuck that bitch. Yeah. Francis, when you listen to this, you know, we're not disparaging you, but of course the, the perfect crime. No one would have suspected the baby. Oh, it was the baby. <laughs> the baby did. How did we not think of this? You cracked this wide open. It was the fucking baby. Babies have the perfect well, size hands to put a, like the amount of heroin needed in a in a spoon. Right. And maybe maybe the fingerprints aren't fully formed yet, so that's, yeah, that's why they not... couldn't get them. 
I didn't grow fingerprints yet. I don't know how babies work, but I feel like that sounds right. Well, I think somebody would have been there coaching her and they would have said something like two hands. <laughs> you got to put use two hands. Ricky, you've been very quiet and you stayed around. I thought you were going to leave a half hour ago, but I must have enthralled you, my friend. That's good. What do you got for a theory? Is this, what do you think on this whole thing, Ricky? No, I think it was obviously Courtney Love in, in some regard. Um, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with a heroin addict's not going to OD because it happens to all of them at some point. But I, you know, for, for anyone that doesn't get clean and, and like, he kind of seemed like he was very happy about doing heroin and never saw it as a problem. I mean, when you spend $400 a day and you're happy about that, you're not looking to ever clean yourself up. So there is really no, it's not a forever thing. It's a, when do you reach the top and fuck up enough where it's over? But I don't, you know, with heroin, it's not like a painful death, right? You take too much, you OD and it's over. So the only argument I could see for grabbing a gun when he knew he had that as a way out would be he was in so much pain, he would want to shoot himself, which is why the gun in the scenario at all makes zero sense. This is um, yeah, I agree. I think somebody tried to help him overdose and he wasn't fucking dying because he had such a high tolerance to it that they decided, fuck <laughs> it, let's just shoot him. Like if I, I mean, they... Yeah, I, I don't know if it was Courtney herself or somebody hired. I have no idea, but none of it makes sense in the way that all of it worked. Now, the question as to why did the police not find, figure it out, or arrest anybody, I think it's one of a few things. She bribed the correct people because once you have millions of dollars, it doesn't fucking matter what you do. You just pay the right person and it's over. Um, or something in that prenup was written in such a way where it wouldn't have mattered in the terms of the money and they couldn't find a motive and they couldn't find the proof around it where they never could pursue it. And if you don't have the motive and you don't have the fingerprints and you don't have enough of the evidence and, you know, maybe the police did fuck up the crime scene, it doesn't matter what they think, right? I'm sure everybody, everyone on the police force thought Courtney did it or knew that she did it um, or hired someone to do it, maybe that. But really, there's no way... If, if, there, if there's no evidence there, it's just over. Um, and if she didn't have the prenup in place to say, and the only reason I think they might've had a prenup is maybe she owned a house or something, or she owned certain, she owned something else that she thought was, she was, was a trust worthwhile. fund. She was a trust fund kid. So I'm assuming it's because of her family's, but money. they lived in the state of California. So that doesn't matter. Okay. I'm in the state a, of California. I'm not a Californian lawyer. I didn't know that. So in the state of California, trust funds are always owned by the individual, even when you're married. So it never matters if you get married. It can't only the, the asset appreciation is what gets split up. So, you know, in the case of anyone having a trust fund, it doesn't. But I, I said matter. she was a trust fund kid. I was talking about the trust fund. I was saying her family has money. So if her family died, her grandparents specifically who gave her the trust fund and gave her a big chunk of money and then they divorce bigger than what she thinks he had if it's in a trust it doesn't matter if it's if it's inheritance like it's well, if it's a lump when you die but the way the, die, so it's called an inheritance no no when you die it's still a trust if you're if you're ultra rich and you set it up correctly so when kurt cobain died his daughter got it in trust so when she divorced from her her husband he doesn't get any of that it's the only way I could I, I could wrap my brain around it is that she had some yeah. sort of family she had something she had in a whole I, I, Get the fuck out of here with your shit. She did something. I can't find I can't find the prenup. She had something. 
I don't know what it was, but she had something. And that something was somehow able to weasel her out of, I didn't have the motive. I think her motive was just, she got fucking tired of him and she wanted to leave him. Right. And she was, she she wanted to leave him so badly that she didn't want anyone else to be with him. And she didn't need to fight over the daughter. It was fuck it. Let's kill him. My daughter, my life. And that was it. And there was, there's no proof around it. Yeah. I think you really hit something. This is something I think to consider too, is that like, you know, the way you source money and the way you live your life is a, a fucking learned thing. And, and then the way it happens is, is generally how you're going to make it happen for the rest of your life. When you're a kid where you, you already know that the money's coming to you, the way it's coming to you under whatever, that also just for me solidifies the idea that like, that's how Courtney would have saw Kurt's money. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter whose money it is. She's always been given money by somebody else or it was somebody else's money that because of one thing or another became hers. So the the concept of that alone, I think is something that's already rattling around in her head. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. all of the money she's ever had has been somebody else's money. And now there's somebody else in her life who's uber rich and and she's going to use all of the the. You know, she knows the way the things work. And she's like, you know, should I, should I take that? Or I could take the whole bean, you know? I did not, I never thought more in my life until after this podcast that <laughs> she, she had something to do with it. Yeah, honestly, I used to like, be like, super like, you know, like, oh, I think it's just, you know, like sexism or whatever that people really like to rail on her um, and, and then shit like that. Now, like I'm, I am pretty also convinced that <laughs> she fucking had him killed. Where there's fire, there's smoke, you no know, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, that kind of fucking mentality. And it's like, there are too many things that are fucked up about this where, where like, man, if it's like 90% of the other cases and Cobain goes into the garage, not up in the fucking attic, you know what I mean? He doesn't have a belly full of heroin and just blows his head. You know what I mean? Then that's one thing. Or he's laying down. The gun has nothing to do with it. The gun's not there at all. And he does three or four times what he should do with the heroin. And the dragon, you know, burns him. You know what I mean? That's another thing. But but like Rick said earlier, the idea that the gun plays at all in this or that the heroin does with the gun there, it's all just way, for me anyway, way too uh, calculated in way too many ways. And like, uh, you know, hey, when, when, yeah, when somebody looks like they're writing a script for something, then that means, you know, you're not watching, you're not watching a documentary. Okay. Well, if you guys are uh, interested, go watch Soaked in Bleach. Uh, this is Tom Grant's documentary. I, I see, maybe I, uh, went too heavy on the Courtney shit because I wanted you guys to believe it sure. But I mean, I, I legitimately believe I, Dave Grohl, Nova Selleck, anybody else that's close in his life does not believe it was suicide. And he was down that path as it was going. Uh, they, they worked with him. They lived around him. It is a lot. It can, if you, if you think that sounds like a movie, it's because it is a movie. It's called soaked in bleach. And there's a lot of leaps of logic with it. Like there's like the, the Callie's with the kid. I don't know. There's a lot of things that it doesn't make yeah, sense yeah. to me. There's, there's a lot that's hard for me to wrap my head around just because it sounds right. really good. But I mean, this, the one thing that you just said there, and I mean, I understand the argument for, for, you know, on, you know, to say that Callie's not the guy that I think he is, 
because he's around the kid. But then there's an argument to say that that's exactly why he would have been motivated because he he's spending more time with this kid than Kurt is. And then now if Kurt's out of the picture and he feels like in any way he can continue to play that role, well, then now he's daddy. You know what I mean? Like there's motivation that way too, you know? We're, we're getting this information from me who's probably a shade smarter than the fucking girl off the starting. So let's start there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, it took me a second because I fully just, I, I feel like you were wanted to say something different. <laughs> Twinkie? <laughs> yeah. So, but my point is this. Dave Grohl and Courtney Love were battling for decades. All right. Nova Selleck and Courtney Love. Do you think these two could have fucking pointed all the arrows at her and got her fucking just buried behind a legal battle if they had any type, even just a little bit of belief in Tom Grant's story? And Tom Grant's been maybe telling this from the top of the uh, buildings for 20 years. So maybe, maybe Chris Nova Selleck and Dave Grohl were in on it. Oh, now it gets yeah, boom. Roll. This is it. This is how it happened. All right. <laughs> All right. So this is what we're wait, wait, wait. This is what you're telling our are this what we're telling our client today, Ryan Horowitz? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Chris Novoselic. All right. Always had designs on being a politician. Remember when he was a baby. All right. He was wearing ties and giving speeches. All right. Okay. Dave Grohl. Anything for attention and money. All the time. Always. Right. Courtney Love. Okay did not like the way that Kurt Cobain was more successful than her or the way he disrespected Hole. Okay. I bet he said tons of bad shit. And, and she's a whore and she's a whore. Sure. But that's a given. All right. So that they corner him in the greenhouse while he's doing heroin. All right. All three of them, you know, Courtney's got Grohl and Nova Selleck on either side. And then she just stares at Kurt. Who's looking up at her all, all heroined out and shit. And she slides a 50 inch, shotgun out of her pussy okay and then she says <laughs> after aiming at his head she goes maybe you'll like this whole bitch and then boom lights out on cobain end of story they all got away with it uh except for nova Selleck, lost all of his hair because of the stress all right what do you think uh what do you think do you did you bring those uh sand dollars i told you to bring oh wait i didn't told i told you not to bring them yeah you dollars. does that work you said rick will beat my ass you said he'll fucking beat me we we've we've established i only do drone strokes yeah he said <laughs> rj complete pushover he's a simp uh yeah but, but he yeah, said i uh i hang out and i i uh, watch richard uh fuck my girlfriend and my mom and then i'm just like all right you'll pay me when you pay me yeah 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 see that's what pretty much how he felt filled it in he said uh that's rj in a nutshell uh, <laughs> he could just be on the moon where people live forever when they go away at 27 but i think Ooh. it was probably courtney love in this in this cali guy yeah yeah okay well we're giving you it was it was the rest of nirvana and hole that's really what happened <laughs> and we solved it all the time i'm sorry that you might think oh no that. they were probably there too yeah. Uh, right. All uh, right. But for sure, Courtney. Yeah. Yeah. No. So we could put that to bed. If anybody wants to sell, yeah. talk to Tom Grant, just tell him he can stop his crusade. We figured it out. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. These other private investigators need to just quit. Yeah. And uh, let's just hope to God none of us get snuffed after this gets out because Courtney <laughs> loves people or 
I mean, if we get snuffed for this, it's pretty fucking obvious that they did it. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you guys did you guys hear about the new Foo Fighters album? I'm coming for you, Private Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear there's a new whole um, single. Uh, RJ is funny. The, the other two are dickheads. And I don't know why that's... Uh... Did you fuck Courtney Love? <laughs> RJ, are you yeah. fucking Courtney Love? <laughs> that's right, yeah. I was. If, if you looked real closely when you were at that show, Ryan, you would have seen my head too. poke out and wave. Yeah, you were yeah. there. <laughs> Edgefest is the first concert I ever went to. <laughs> I was yeah, at the beautiful. edge of the pussy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, Ryan, it was good to have you on, buddy. Hopefully you had fun for real. So. I did have fun. Yeah, you guys uh, You guys are a blast. And, and sorry, I tried to... I just got pretty stoned through most of the thing and i i you know i tried to I'll, i you know sorry no you're great perfect you're great. that's a perfect that's a perfect closing statement <laughs> i couldn't have said it better myself i just watched private dicks and i think rj's the funniest what come on hey there all you private dickheads that's probably not the name we're gonna stick with anyways uh, rj here I am here to tell you thank you for listening to another episode of Private Dicks. If you liked what you heard, go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere they take your reviews, drop us five stars, say something nice. Also, what you just heard was from last season. If you want current episodes as they're dropped, head on over to patreon.com and search up Unethical Podcast. That's our mother podcast. I was not aware Private Dicks was a spinoff, I'm going to renegotiate my contract. On Patreon is a full 16-episode season more of Private Dicks, uncut videos of each episode, and many more things are getting added all the time. You can also find all of Unethical's content on there, so go listen to that. And if you're already a patron, fuck yeah, dude. You're the best. What was I going to tell you? Oh, we're, if anybody Googles this after, you're going to Google it, you're going to see that the FBI finally released the documents for the Kurt Cobain files 27 years yeah. after his death. I bet you we have I bet you we have some bullshit like FBI listener who just like hears this and then release something stupid. No, what they released, uh-huh. they released was people mailing the FBI going, you should look into this. And they go like murders and stuff are done by the state police. Show me why it's a federal matter and we'll open this case they went but it's, he got murdered and like it's not a federal case so it's like 21 because pages he was long. a national treasure and he was stolen from yeah, us. It, it, the, yeah the file is 21 pages and it's all correspondence of them going like we're not going to investigate this so don't be shocked Damn. when you see this crazy fbi fucking thing it's nothing it's stupid gotcha